1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Makers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.
2: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm going to call
3: it.
4: Just gone seven o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time, uh, the theme song there for Ian Foster's entry to the New Zealand Rugby offices this afternoon. Uh, ahead of the announcement, uh, which was, I've got to say, from my point of view, and it is an opinion, was disappointing. So, New Zealand Rugby have effectively done nothing. Um, they've led a guy who people say two and seven is his record. No, it's, it's one and six because the other win was when Joe Schmidt was taking the team and he was always sick. Um, So he stays in charge. Uh, And I mean, they say they've added Joe Schmidt to the coaching group, like that that's some new piece of information, but they added him to the coaching group ahead of the Island Series. So they have effectively done absolutely nothing. Um, Yeah. uh, uh, I've said on this show before and uh, talked to other people like Hamish Bidwell, et cetera, about it, is that the arrogance knows no bounds. They cannot admit they are wrong. And they haven't. Um, sure, they had a win against South Africa, but look at that Springboks team. Look, great to get the win. Don't take away from that. But they didn't. The Springboks didn't start the same team that dominated us in the first test. Malcolm Marks started on the bench for a start. I mean, he dominated the breakdown for the first 50 minutes of that test. They didn't play the first, what, half hour or so of the second test. Uh, and that allowed the All Blacks to get some front foot dominance. So... Yeah, disappointing. As an All Blacks fan, disappointing with the news today that Ian Foster was endorsed by the New Zealand Rugby Board uh, as All Blacks coach through to the World Cup. As Jamie Wall, a respected rugby journalist and author, uh, tweeted, Sack yourselves. That was his entire response to the uh, 2.30 announcement. If you missed the 2.30
2: announcement, this was it. Delighted to get um, the... Strong support from both Robbo and, and the board for for us going forward. It's uh, clearly been a difficult time. You know, the start of this campaign is we didn't get what we wanted against Ireland, and, and that created our, it's, uh, a lot of performance stress. Um, that's part of my job, and and I expect to be to be grilled in that space. and And so, through the last month, we've had a number of conversations about how we can grow our organisation and make sure that we get the performance that we want on the park. We've, we have made some changes and, and we're, we're continuing to, to keep evaluating our group to make sure we've got what we need to, uh, going through to the World Cup and really delighted with where we've got to, I guess from today onwards. Um, just talk about the addition of, of Joe Smith. Um, Joe Smith's been um, on my radar probably for a couple of years. He's we, we flagged at the start of this year that his role was to join us after the Iris series as an independent selector to replace Grant Fox, and but it was in addition he was going to do some analysis, opposition analysis work for, and work alongside mo, alongside myself in the strategy area. Um, we started that after the Iris series, uh, delighted with how that's going, got a great relationship with Joe and how that works, and. And subsequently, in conversations, we've now decided to move him from the, the computer room and, and actually put him on the park a little bit more. And so he, on the park, he's going to work alongside myself and, to a slightly lesser extent, uh, Stormy in terms of having a, a, a bit of an impact on the park with the attack part of the game. Um, uh, so delighted with that. And and as as Stuart mentioned, you know delighted with the growth and the impact of Jason in addition to our group. So... Really feel confident about it. We're, I guess, uh, it's a bit different for the All Blacks. We're, we're a group that's gone through a little bit of change in the, in the coaching area. But I think um, that's been reflective of, of us trying to chase the the performance levels we want, and and it's also reflective of a group of players that we are. We're clearly making a few changes on the park too in terms of personnel and trying to get this group to the point that we have a, a really strong nucleus to go through to that World Cup and I think you saw the last couple of weeks of introduction of a few newer players in that space so um, for us it's an exciting period and again just can't wait to get back into work and you know go down to Christchurch and get ready for the for the Argentinian travel uh, uh, challenge I guess that awaits us I think it's very strong and um, you know we've had to the first five tests of this year were always going to be immensely tough. I mean, it's not often we play five tests in a row against teams that are basically ranked higher than us in the world. If you think about it, that's that's the situation we got. So we got tested and we fell a bit short in a few areas. So, um, but what I'd like to reassure people is that we're not just sitting there justifying that. We're actually saying, OK, well, what have we learnt from that? And, and I guess, I mean, I, I, I've... I feel good about the confidence that I've got from from Mark and Stuart in terms of supporting both myself and the group. Um, I, I think we've got our leadership and our senior players at a point that are probably as strong as I've seen them in recent years, and, and they want to own it. And that's a massive part of, of where we need to go. So they're pretty good uh, foundation points. What does it mean? Look, it means, it, it means a lot, but I, I think... Um, look we are a very tight group and I guess one thing I'll explain is that I tell you who we've got the most support from the last month it's It's from ex all blacks from the two o seven two o nine period of of players that have actually been through periods in the All blacks where things haven't gone that well, and it's been fantastic the support we've had from the older all blacks who who know what it's like to go through a bit of a trough and and when you're making changes and rebuilding a little bit, and so, so this group is, whilst there's been a lot of pressure from external, we, we we and it's been painted that this never happens to the all blacks, it does happen to the all blacks. And it has happened in the past. We've got massive support and advice from people who have been through the walked through the same journey. And and I think that's really empowered our current group, who are, haven't been used to the sort of the degree of adversity that we've hit. It's felt foreign and So we've all wanted to roll our sleeves up and fix it. And so we're in it together. Um, Their their support's been fantastic. But I think whilst uh, it looks like massive support for me, and I love that, I feel very privileged by that, but I think in reality it's, it's massive support for what we're trying to create here.
4: So there you go. That is Ian Foster talking today after he was uh, basically backed by the New Zealand Rugby uh, Board to be the coach through to 2023 World Cup. A few things on that. There's a little bit of rewriting of history, I feel. Um, And I'll, I'll tell you why. He said in there, we've lost a few tests to teams ranked above us in the world. Right. Before the first test against Ireland, New Zealand were number two in the world. South Africa were number one. So, yes, the South Africans were ahead of us, but the Irish weren't. Um, and the way that uh, Ian Foster said that, you know, playing five tests against teams ranked ahead of us in the world, well, they weren't ranked ahead of you, the Irish. They were in fourth when they came here. We were second. So I'm not sure how you uh, you come to that as uh, as an excuse for why you lost. Oh, we played teams that were better than us. Well, they weren't better than us the rankings when they got here Um, so yeah that's one thing and another thing you talked about you know uh, Joe Schmidt was always part of his plans two years ago was he that's the first we've heard of that I'd heard that he was part of uh, what Scott Robertson wanted to do when he proposed what his team would look like for if he got the coaching job and his team was going to look like having Jason Ryan as the forwards coach and having Joe Schmidt doing analysis and tactics so they basically just borrowed two of the guys from the plan that Scott Robertson had uh, presented. Hmm. So, yeah, that rewriting history to an extent there uh, doesn't fill me with confidence. I said earlier to a couple of people, I think I might have even put it on Twitter. I was like, so basically, 2023 World Cup, we've got a quarterfinal exit. Our first game of that World Cup is against the French who are hosting the World Cup. If anything is to go by from what we've seen this year, what we saw at the end of the last year, and the fact that it's in front of a a French home crowd, we're not going to win that game, which means we'll probably finish second in that group. We finish second in that group. We have to play the team that wins the group that includes, guess who? South Africa and Ireland. Um, So... Yeah, quarterfinal exit for me. That's where I'd be putting my money for the 2023 World Cup now that New Zealand Rugby have made this decision. You might disagree. You might agree. Tell us uh, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us through on double eight double three, like Chris has. Fozzie Bear makes it to another season. Grr, yes, uh, thank you, Chris, for your text. You keep those coming through on 0800 150 811 or double eight double three. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on the appointment. Well, it's not the appointment, is it? it's, it's the it's the backing that he is being given. Um, as I said, Jamie Wall, who's a prominent rugby author and journalist, and we've had him on this show before. Uh, he's been on plenty of other shows across the SCNZ. His entire take on it, social media was sack yourselves. It's not. It's something that he has actually said before as well on uh, on a couple of TV shows I've seen. So, yeah, uh, I don't think this has made anybody happy except maybe Ian Foster and Mark Robinson probably feels a bit better about himself. Uh, But keen to get your thoughts, so you can give us a call, 0800-150-811. 0800-150-811. or text us on double eight double three. What else is coming up on the show this hour? Well, we are going to catch up uh, with a Queensland League reporter by the name of Zane Bojack. He's going to talk to us about the Cowboys and what an impressive season they've had, how well they are going. Of course, they uh, take on the Warriors this weekend. Mike Fitchett. Who was the coach of the Nelson Giants this season in the Sales NBLs? Also, an assistant coach with the Tall Blacks. Uh, they are heading off to Japan to play a couple of uh, warm-up games against the Japanese before they head to Saudi Arabia for a World Cup qualifying game against the uh, Saudis, and then back here for a game against Jordan. So, we'll talk to Mike about the squad, about what they're hoping to achieve up there. Uh, after eight o'clock, Kevin here is going to come on. Now, if you don't know uh, Kevin, he if if you want. To know anything about Heartland Championship Rugby, he is the man. He has a great website; it has everything. They stream most of the games off camera wherever they can, and uh, he is an abundant. He has abundant knowledge. He does a lot of work for a lot of the different uh, smaller unions as well that are part of the Heartland Championship uh, Rugbyheartland.co.nz is his website. Kevin's going to come on because the Heartland Championship kicks off this weekend, and uh, he's going to be with us to preview that. Also, Jordan Kanellis, he is a football commentator out of Melbourne, and he is going to preview Melbourne City versus the Wellington Phoenix tonight in the Australian Cup. It's like their version of the FA Cup as the... uh, a round of sixteen winner of this goes to the quarterfinal, So Jordan is going to uh, join us there. And after nine o'clock, it is Hoopheads. Yeah, Justin Nelson and Casey Frank are going to be in the house for Hoopheads. We'll uh, wrap the sales NBL talk a bit of tall blacks, get some NBA updates as well. And then after ten o'clock, uh, your calls will uh, readdress the Foster situation. And Matt Reed, football pundit out of the UK, is going to join us as well to talk about. Everton football club, Manchester United, Darwin Nunes getting sent off and a possible five game ban for him, and a few other things including the transfer window as well. All of that coming your way tonight here on extra time. It's eighteen past seven here on SENZ extra time. Ricardo Ball with you through to eleven o'clock this evening. Uh, joining us now out of Australia, out of out of the Sunshine State, in fact, Queensland uh, from ABC Radio is Zane Bojack. G'day, Zane. How you doing?
5: I'm good, thanks, Ricardo. Shortly, we're also going to be the host of the NRL Grand Final for season 2022.
4: Wow, that's great news. Uh, when did that news come out?
5: <laughs> it hasn't been announced yet. But we're very confident up here. I tell you what, it would be the biggest. It would be the biggest heist if you if you could ever imagine it. Uh, if we were able to steal it from under our underneath our New South Wales counterparts. Uh, look, it's it's looking very very good at the moment the australian rugby league commission is actually meeting regarding the nrl grand final and look uh everyone in new zealand knows that you know um your country wasn't able to host nrl football for a long time because of COVID. the new south wales community couldn't host it last year and we had uh, you know the the last 10 rounds as well as the finals and the nrl grand final here in queensland wouldn't it be amazing if now there's no COVID, we've got everything going well, you've got the footy back in New Zealand, and well, lo and behold, the, the NRL Grand Final heads off again to Brisbane. I tell you what, there's a lot of excitement up here. we would only got it for the first time in 114 years last year. We might get it twice in 115.
4: Yeah, thats that is that'd be massive news. I mean, I, I know New South Wales <laughs> has been plagued by biblical floods and fires, and I don't know, yeah. why, why, why is it going to Queensland, do you think? Are they expecting a plague of locusts next? What's happening?
5: Yeah, well, look, this is the interesting thing. So, um, for those of you that don't know Across the Ditch, New South Wales government had provided guarantees that they were going to pay for upgraded stadiums. So, they've already provided the Sydney Football Stadium or um, I think they're calling it Alliance Stadium in the east of Sydney. Um, that brand-new facility will be opening very, very shortly with an NRLW match and, of course, the, the Roosters versus South game, which is going to be an absolute ripper the last round before the finals. But we also were was supposed to get upgrades to the homebush stadium which is in the west of sydney and of course where the grand finals held they decided not to do that but they didn't want to spend that money the nrl they went back to the government said look can you spend money on brookville oval which is at manly in the northern beaches of sydney can you put money into Leichhardt oval which is of course in Balmain?" um and we know that uh, recently there was a railing that broke at Leichhardt oval and there was a, a group of college students school students who fell off that that balcony um, when they were watching a school football match. So you can imagine, if there was an NRL game and you had a catastrophe like that, it would have, you know, injured seriously, serious numbers. So the NRL has been pushing for the New South Wales government to actually upgrade the stadiums. They wanted the, re- the basically the uh, smaller suburban stadiums fixed up rather than the Homebush Stadium. And then of course, when the floods happened, as you mentioned. They decided Dominic Perrottet and the New South Wales government decided that they would rather spend $800 million on flood mitigation, particularly in the Hawkesbury area, rather than upgrading these stadiums. As soon as that happened, that's when the NRL said, "Well, look, if you're not going to spend the money on where we want it to, why have we got this guarantee in place that we're supposed to host grand finals in New South Wales till 2042? We took it to Brisbane last year. We'll take it to Brisbane again. Is the Queensland government interested? Well, are they interested?" the Queensland government's not only come up with a strategy of taking this year's grand final, which they would very, very happily host, considering we've got two Queensland teams and the Cowboys and the Broncos in the top eight as it sits, but also they're pushing for two more grand finals before 2032 when, of course, Brisbane hosts the Olympics. They see it as a way of promoting amongst the rest of the the country um, the fact that uh, Queensland, and particularly Brisbane, um, is able to host major events. The other thing is, which you might not realise over New Zealand, is because of this olympics coming up in 2032 our other major ground in brisbane the gabba is under going to be undertaking a billion dollar reconstruction so it's going to become basically the uh the, the, the home venue or the the athletics track i guess you could say the um ceremony um venue for the olympics and that means that the brisbane lions and the queensland bulls the Australian cricket team, they will have to go to an alternative venue while it's being upgraded. So the Queensland government sees using Lang Park or Suncorp Stadium as it's known, using it as a major facility during those times when we haven't got the gather going and they could see if they could have a couple of grand finals during that period, it would still boost business in the city of Brisbane, in the CBD, where of course, um, you know, if you don't have major events, you're not actually having those businesses get those dollars. So look, there's so much at stake here and... Kate Jones, who used to be the Queensland Government Sports Minister, is now on the Australian Rugby League Commission. She came out this morning, Ricardo, and said she thinks the 60-40 weighted in favour of Queensland. And Peter Volandes, who's the chairman of the ARLC, he is desperate to leverage the New South Wales Government. So he might not necessarily give it to us, but he's going to use us as much as he can to get that money up from New South Wales and get those guarantees. So look, to be honest, I think we're in the box seat, but we need to find out maybe the next hour and a half. And then, of course, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's all full steam towards that, that grand final. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Last year, we hosted it between the Rabbitohs and Penrith, but unfortunately, due to COVID, we had to cap it at 39,000. They took 13,000 seats away from grand final ticket holders. This time, we would love to host it, have the full... Activities throughout the week, and you know, have the, uh, the all of the supporters in King George Square in Brisbane just make it an absolute festival and a celebration. Whereas last year it had to be curtailed, as we know, because there was another COVID wave that came through.
4: Yeah, superb. Uh, well, I look forward to hearing that news. So, you expect that to be uh, announced tonight? The decision.
5: Yes, in the next hour and a half or so, we should find out. I know everyone's on tender hooks. There's still a perception down in Sydney that it's going to stay in the the homeland, in the in the traditional city, but. Um, the one thing I can say is that they said that on Monday night and it really got the goat of of Peter Volandis and, and here in Queensland we know that our Premier has been having very high profile talks with him um, and, and she's of the belief that we're going to get it so uh, I don't think he's very happy with the New South Wales government leaking against him and the NRL so let's just hope that his blood boils until they make the decision and queensland got the grand
4: supply. Well, that's the thing. Peter Valandis doesn't strike me as a man that likes to be told what he's going to do. So I, yeah, I i think I think you're onto something there. I think yeah, that could definitely go uh, in your favour, Zane. Hey, we we should talk. Um, should talk Warriors though. They, they are playing your Cowboys yeah. this weekend um, yeah. over there, and uh, you know. Th- for us, I talked to uh, Michael Luck uh, pre-season yep. um, and just to see what they had going on up there and you know, got a, t- a take on how they were doing things. And he talked a lot about culture and environment and things. And mm. you, know, you often hear that from sports yeah. administrators. Um, Lucky maybe it holds a bit more weight over here because he's, he, you know, he's so respected here. Um, but I looked at mm. what they'd done recruitment-wise and it wasn't a lot, to be honest. You know, And they finished second bottom last se- season. Now they're third. How did that happen? Well, actually, second
5: um, on the ladder, uh, they're still ahead of the Sharkies, even though they lost on the weekend. And to be honest with you, um, the Cowboys have really grown under Todd Payton, who I know it would disappoint Warriors fans, could have easily been the Warriors coach. Um, and you mentioned Michael Luck there. The influence of a number of ex-Warriors, including Brent Tate on the North Carolina Cowboys, has been um, very, very particular. Also, with Kevin Campion, who was also part of the Warriors organisation, and um, you know, continues to have a role there. I, I just think that North Queensland really has performed this year off the back of their rookies. Unfortunately, um, Healam Lukey he went down with a knee injury earlier this year, but you have a look at this, that, just the way they've come through. Griffin Neem, um, you know, Jeremiah Nanoy. Nanoy in origin this year was spectacular. He came through this year. Obviously, Reuben Cotter, he was a, a hooker who's now, you know, making 40, 50 tackles and no misses um, in the middle of the of the, the, the front row. And I've got to say, this, year, this week he has got a tough test, hasn't he? Taking on Adam Tanoa Blake. it's I think it's going to be one of the big battles this this week. Unfortunately, um, Tanoa Brown, who used to play for the Warriors, as the 18th man because I think he would have loved to have taken on his former side, particularly given the last time the Warriors played the Cowboys. It was at Redcliffe and it was Sean Johnson field goal which got the Warriors home and it was a major upset at the time. Um, I wasn't doing that game. I was actually doing the Broncos game following, so I didn't get a chance to get out there, but... Um, It was just one of those games that could have gone either way. And in the end, the Warriors got that win, one of their few for this year. And, of course, last week, Sean Johnson was outstanding as the Bulldogs. I'm sure Warriors fans are saying, why can't he do that all the time? Mm. But, you know, I I just have a feeling the the Cowboys at the moment, their defence, that's been the the hallmark of their season, Ricardo. Their defence has been outstanding. And Todd Payton and Dean Young, um, they have spent a lot of work over the off-season getting that defence right. And unfortunately, in recent weeks, particularly on the weekend against the Roosters, um, in previous weeks against the Bulldogs, um, against the Tigers, it hasn't been that great. Even though they got wins in those two games, it hasn't been that great. So I can see the Warriors picking holes in the, the Cowboys' defence. And they really desperately need to get this one, the Cowboys, because they've got some big games coming up. They've still got the Rabbitohs and the Panthers to come. So they're not going to be easy clashes against you know one side just below them on the ladder and the, the other one that is above them. Even though, um, you know, they probably, the Panthers will probably still not have their stars. But uh, look, I've got to say, this is a must win for the Cowboys if they want to stay in the top four. There's a real fear that they may even drop out of the top four if they don't win this week. So I know the Warriors will be confident. We saw the Stacey Jones named the same side as last week. I just wonder if Chanel harris David is going to come in and play. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to, to see Dijon Arcee, former Cowboy, alongside Sean Johnson who was outstanding last week. I could see them causing some havoc and the Warriors have gone to Townsville and won before. I wouldn't put it past them.
4: Yeah, they, yeah Sean Johnson you mentioned. He really wound back the clock didn't he? In that game against the Dogs. Uh, that that try particularly towards the end. What was it? 75 minutes and he's doing that? Throwing dummies left, right and centre? That's the, that's the sad thing.
5: I see Sean Johnson. And look, I get that he's coming back from an Achilles. We We know that it's hard to recover from an Achilles injury. It's one of the toughest ones to come back from some people tell me that's harder than an acl having said that i know he's never been an organizer and i know that he's he's never really um even though he's been a senior member of the kiwis he's been a senior member of the warriors and the sharks in the past i just have a feeling that leadership's not his thing i know that game game management's not his thing but if that's not his thing he needs to be running the football and he he took on tight opposition against the Bulldogs the other the other night and started to break the line. I just don't understand why he's not doing that from the start. Because the more doubt you put in the defense's mind, the better you're going to go throughout the game. And I just feel like he's still feeling his way. You know, even though um he's he's looked okay at certain times this season. It's maybe he's going to have a great back end of the season and leapfrog into next year and play really well, but. If you're a Warriors fan, you would be disappointed with the output that you've got from the number seven this year.
4: Yeah, I think so. He's got one more year left, um, but there was a lot of talk over here that he might not see it out with the new coaching staff coming in, but apparently they've agreed to to keep them for next year. So that'll be interesting to see what they can do with them, given the big changes to the squad for next season. Hey, what we've got you also Friday night, the Broncos and the Storm, probably the uh, game of the round, Mm. mate. Uh, I know you'll be looking closely at that. Uh, The Broncos have have been a bit rocks and diamonds this season. Uh, Do you you see them making a dent in the playoffs?
5: Well, this is going to be the big test. Um, Like I was saying, it's crucial for the Cowboys that they win. I think it's also crucial for the Broncos because... Um, the Broncos have got some tough matches coming up as well. And, look, the Melbourne Storm, I don't know whether you're aware of the record that the Storm have got, but they've won their last 11 against Brisbane. And they haven't lost at Lang Park to the Broncos since 2009. 13 years they've come here to Brisbane and continue to win. They are just they just love it here. I mean, when we have the, the, you know, the years of Billy Slater and Cameron Smith and Cooper Cronk, um, even Felice Kafusi, these guys love playing at Lang Park. It's like their home ground. And so... When they come here, they always turn it on. So um, it's interesting that Jerome Hughes has been named. So that's a big in for them. Of course, um, no Ryan Pappenhausen for Melbourne. Can they win the title when they haven't got their star number one? We're going to see Nick Meaney and also Cameron Munster, who was outstanding last week. Not only um, you know just the way that he was setting up tries and playing beautifully, going through the the edges and um, just testing the Penrith Panthers defence. And we haven't seen that too much this year, Penrith. Apart from Parramatta, haven't really been troubled by sides. But where are we? Um, the, the Melbourne Storm, despite the, the loss of a number of players, they really tested them on the edges last week. Particularly Nelson Osofis-Solomona. that was amazing. Seeing the big prop from New Zealand go across and play on the edge and take on Viliami Kikau. that was that was worth the price of admission. That battle. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do this week. Whether they keep Nelson in the in the you know, the second in that second row position and. You know, maybe test out of Jordan Rickey. who's you know um, a Maori star um, and played for the uh, played for the, the Maori All Stars this year. He's a young player who we really like here in Brisbane, but I think his defence can be brittle. And look, the other one is yeah, how much pressure um, they're going to put on Adam Reynolds because both Adam Reynolds and Kirk Capel are in, the, in the, on that other edge. They have leaked a lot of tries this year. As good as Adam Reynolds has been, he's been one of the buys of the year for the Broncos. That's where most teams have been getting success is going through those two. So. Just wondering what the Storm are going to come up with. It is a must win for Brisbane. There is no doubt about that. They desperately need to win this one. And um, if they don't, you know, they could risk actually uh, not having any points. They've got themselves to 28, but whether they can get themselves all the way to, uh, you know, to 30, get themselves into that four, get themselves to 32, who knows. But, um, you yeah, know, I think it's going to be tough if they can't beat Melbourne at home this week. They've got Parramatta the week after. Yes, it's at home. And then they've got the Dragons. Which is the real possibility of a victory, but once again it's a so it's not going to be easy for the Broncos.
4: It won't be easy, mate. It's going to be a, a great game, and I, you know, I think it's really what you just said there about Nelson as off as of Solomoner as well, is just a, a great illustration of what a great coach Craig Bellamy is. You know, he's not quite getting the tune out of his side he normally would. He's lost Ryan Papenhauer, as you mentioned. He's finding other ways to win, and he found a way to, you know, to get into the Panthers, a team that have been so hard to beat this year. So, right, Bellamy, off at your peril. Oh, he's, a, he's an amazing coach, and that's
5: that's the other thing. Like, I think the masterstroke has been that mixing between Meany and, and Munster at five eight and, and fullback. It's like give give Munster the the expanse and the opportunity, the freedom at the start of the set. Bring him into the halves and let him try and work off the, the defense and try and test him a bit, and then at the back end of the set, let him sweep and then run back and, and and get the ball from from the back of their set. So I think um you know the coaching that he comes up with is revolutionary and. Like I said, just it was a masterstroke putting Nelson out there. I know he's got his detractors, particularly with some of the tackles that he's come up with. I think he um, it might have been Wade Egan that he that he laid out and um, you know gave gave him a, a fair uh, yeah a fair de- dealing to um, around the mouth region. But um, you want that aggression. You need that aggression if you're the Melbourne Storm. And, He can dish it out. And, yeah, I didn't think he was agile enough to play on the edge, but he did and just might be a masterstroke for for Melbourne going through the finals.
4: Yeah, you could be right, mate. You could be right. All right, Zane. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Go well, and we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Good luck with your call this weekend. Yeah, thanks so
5: much, mate. And can I just say, go Cowboys, go Broncos.
4: Sorry, Warriors <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, mate. Go for it. Uh, there we go. Zane Bojack from ABC Radio there uh, with us with some thoughts on the weekend's game, particularly for those Queensland sides and the Cowboys taking on the Warriors. Both those games are Friday night and uh, looking forward to them. It's going to another great round of NRL on the way. It is uh, 25 away from 8 o'clock. When we come back, assistant coach of the Tall Blacks, Mike Fitchett, joins us. 21 away from 8 o'clock here on SENZ. Uh, Ricardo, Ball with you through until 11 o'clock tonight. I was hoping to talk to Mike Fitchett, the assistant coach of the Tall Blacks and also the uh, head coach of the Nelson Giants about uh, the games coming up in Japan for the Tall Blacks. He flies out on Thursday, I believe. Uh, This is a team that the Tall Blacks have named for, well, that squad that they've named for that Japan tour. Benjamin Gold out of Marquette University. Carlin Davison from the Taranaki Mountaineers. Dion Prouster uh, out of Melbourne United. Ethan Roosbatch from Hawks Bay, uh, the Hawks. Flynn Cameron from Riverside, California. Isaac Fotu from uh, Brex. Utsamonia. Uh, Jordan Hunt from Hawks Bay Hawks. Jordan Nati from the Wellington Saints. Nico McCulloch from the uh, Otago Nuggets. Uh, Ruben Terangi from the south Melbourne Phoenix, Sam Dempster from the Nelson Giants, so there's a story, uh, Shay Illy from Melbourne United, and Taki Farenson from the Auckland Tuatara. The head coach is Piero Cameron, uh, Ross Main, Zico Coronel, and Michael Fitchett are the assistants as well. Uh, so it's a big group that is going over to Japan. These two games against uh, the Japanese We'll set them up for a couple of games coming up in the World Cup Asian qualifier for FIBA, the FIBA World Cup. They play Saudi Arabia and Dammam on the 25th of August and then back here against Jordan on the 29th of August. Uh, that Jordan game is going to be a real test for the Tall Blacks. Uh, they've uh, often been a team that have uh, caused the uh, Tall Blacks uh, problems. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that we had... Um, Sam Dempster, named uh, from the Nelson Giants. Now he's a guy who won the cells NBL Most Improved Player Award after a really good season with the Nelson Giants. But he's 32, so he'll be making his debut at the age of 32. And he, you know, he's pretty much said that he thought his chance had gone. Uh, but no, you go, Sam Dempster is in the team, and that is uh, that is great to see. So hopefully, we can get hold of Mike Fitchett and uh, ask him a few questions about this team and what they're hoping to achieve over in Japan. Uh, Now, we were talking earlier about Ian Foster. Uh, He has been returned to the helm of, well, not returned because he never left, but uh, he's been backed by the board, basically, ahead of the World Cup. Uh, So that's it. No more reviews, apparently. Maybe there should be a review for the board. It's uh, probably another conversation to be had. A deleted textus. Through, and you're more than welcome to text your thoughts through as well on 8833, the Temper Bedpost Text Machine, or you can call us on 0800. One five zero eight eleven. Totally agree with your comments regarding the box benching a few. Pl- uh, sorry, totally agree with your comments regarding the box benching a few of their starters from last week. Erasmus had to bring his bench on a lot earlier than he anticipated, and that was a telling factor towards the end of the game as they were tiring. Take nothing away from the All Blacks, a great win, but net, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's from Lee, hundred percent Lee. I think that's a really good point and one that maybe not enough has been made of. Uh, I think you know media. In general, I think fans in general of the All Blacks were just so happy to have a win finally. that Didn't ask too many questions about it, but I I think you're bang on there, Lee, uh, with what you said about uh, the All Blacks and that performance against the Springboks. So you can have your say on that and Foster being backed by Mark Robinson on 0800 150 oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven or you can text us on double eight double three that is the temper bed post uh, text machine. I believe that um uh, at seventeen away from eight o'clock that we should have Mike Fitchett close to being ready, close to being on the line. Uh, here he is the sales NBL coach of the year, Mike Fitchett. How you doing, Mike?
6: I'm very well. I'm not I'm not Mr punctual of the year. I apologize for that.
4: That's all right, mate. These things happen, mate. What's three minutes between friends? (laughs) I'm not going to touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, mate, fair. Now, um, uh, you, of course, a couple of days away from jetting off to Japan to join the uh, Tall Black squad over there. Uh, 13-man squad, a bit of a mix, some new faces, uh, some older faces coming back, and a core that obviously uh, were at that FIBA uh, Asia Cup in Jakarta as well. Uh, uh, You know, how much uh, time and uh, thought and conversation went into uh, selecting this team with Piero, Ross and Zico?
6: Yeah, um, a decent amount. Obviously, that Asia Cup group had a really, really good tournament and there was a bunch of younger, less experienced guys. And, and um, so a bunch of them put their hands up and I know Piero um, really respected what they did over there. Um, but of course, we, as a coaching staff, we're always in com- conversations with the guys like Isaac Soto and Shea Eli and Ruben Tarangi. Um, those kind of, excuse me, more veteran uh, tall black guys that have been around the traps for a while. So when those guys put their hand up, obviously we're keen to get them back in the mix as quick as we can. So um, awesome to have those guys involved. Really good to have uh, a bunch of Asia Cup guys and then um, obviously blooding the, the three new names, which is which is always really
4: cool too. Yeah, it was, I mean, you mentioned veterans and you got a veteran debutant, don't you? And Sam Dempster at 32. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a great story.
6: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's awesome. I, I'm so happy for him. You know, I've obviously coached him for the last three or four years, um, but I've known him for a long time. I played with him um, when I was finishing my career, and he was just starting his. And um, he's had a wonderful season. Um, a big reason the Giants did what they did in the regular season, and um, just stoked for him to. He puts in a massive amount of work, 12 months of the year. The New Zealand leagues four months, so you know the other eight months he's just training away and working, working, working and uh
4: and for him to get the opportunity to have
6: a crack in the in the fullback's jumper I'm,
4: I'm really happy for him. Yeah, fantastic mate. So you've got this thirteen man team. You got a couple of games against Japan and a and a bit of a prep camp as well. Uh, mm-hmm. what are you what are you looking to do against Japan? What what's the point of these two games and what are you trying to achieve with the team?
6: Yeah, it was wonderful that Japanese Federation invited us up, um, uh, nice to have a, a friends, uh, wealthy uh, federations as friends who uh, invite us up to Japan and, and host us up there on the way over to Saudi. But uh, main focus for this, for this part of the camp is to, uh, well, like we say about the roster, so we've got you know, half the group is, is uh, locked into what we've been doing, what we've been trying to put in place um, with the Asia Cup and then uh, those veterans and those new guys getting them on the same page. So the, the Japan games, with any kind of friendlies or exhibition games, they, uh, we'll be focusing on ourselves and making sure we get ourselves right. So uh, we won't put quite as much depth and detail into the scouting of Japan and trying to stop what they do. We'll be more focused on trying to refine what we do before we head over to Saudi and and, and play the game, the game there and then the game back in Auckland that, that really matter for World Cup uh, qualification. So uh, awesome to get four or five days at the start of one of these windows because usually you're... You know, you get together on Monday, you train Monday once, maybe a couple of times Tuesday, and then you lighten the load on Wednesday and then play, play a game that really matters on Tuesday. So to have a four or five day camp up in um, Tokyo is uh,
7: fantastic.
4: Yeah, fantastic is the right word, mate. You, what, what about um, Saudi? Uh, that's the, 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 the first competitive game you talk about for the for the qualifying. I mean, stylistically, does did Japan match up with Saudi or is it not really about that? Are they a different style of basketball?
6: Yeah, well, I'm actually, so I'm heading up to join the team in Japan. I, I have to wrap up a couple of things down here with the Giants and um, send our imports home and just finish off a few things before I join the team. So I'm flying up to Japan tomorrow, and one of my jobs on my uh, you know 20-hour journey, Odyssey via Honolulu um, to Tokyo, is to really dig into the Saudi team because we, we actually haven't played them before, not, re- not in recent years anyway. So... Um, Japan, how do they compare to Japan? Well, I don't know yet, but I do know Japan's an extremely uh, unique style. They shoot a bunch of threes, they play really fast, um, and uh, a bit of a smaller squad. And I know the Saudis, just on a personnel level, have got a, a few bigger a few bigger guys. Um, so it will be a little bit different, um, going from one team to the other, but uh, certainly a bit of a learning experience for us. You know, we, we had uh, Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan in our last last time we crossed over with the Western Asian teams and and this time we get Saudi rather than um, Syria, so it'll be, it'll be a good challenge,
4: it'll be cool to go up against some new guys and,
6: and uh, learn some things
4: Will Jordan be the bigger of the two threats, do you think? Yeah, I mean, based on
6: Asia Cup performance world rankings and all those things uh, Jordan's a, a step above Saudi um, Saudi I think they were 0 3 in the Asia Cup and dipped out after pool play. They did actually, uh, to be fair to them, they, they pushed Australia. You know, Aussie ran through that tournament reasonably comfortably. Um, but Saudi were one of the closer teams in pool play to them. So they've got some talent, um, but they didn't manage to get a win at that tournament. So Jordan, um, of course, we beat them in the third, fourth playoff at the tournament. Um, so they're, they're, they're a quality side. They've got, you know, a EuroLeague player, they've got a very, very good naturalised American. And then a bunch of very good uh, Jordanian guys that are playing their in their local league that are very very handy.
4: Yeah, I mean the 13 that you're taking to Japan. How different uh, will the team look to play um, uh, in in the World Cup if we if we make it? Do you think how many players are there out there to come in, that you think could come in?
6: Um, oh, there's a bunch. There's a bunch at the moment. We we're blessed with a lot of depth. Um, we're blessed with a lot of depth, and that probably is a just goes back to the work poorly, poorly did before Piero and Piero's continued to do since he's taken over and, and that's to use these windows to bring in a bunch of guys. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of guys around, you know, guys like Finn Delaney and, and the Webster brothers um, that aren't on tour with us here, Rob Rob Lowe, um, guys like that, which will they'll put, a, they'll put their hands up, I hope, for the World Cup. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, every time we have one of these windows and guys aren't at the windows, it's, a, it's an opportunity for someone else to, to say, hey, I belong here. So, we've got so much talent, it's, uh, it's almost risky business not coming along to one
4: of these things. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Alright, mate. Well, listen, uh, good luck. Uh, safe travels. Uh, don't work on too much of a town in Honolulu. i will be wise. Um, <laughs> but, um, go well, mate, and good luck for the games up there, eh? Yeah, I don't think I'll be using my two hours in transit to get out
6: from the beach, unfortunately. I wouldn't wouldn't mind I've never been to Hawaii, so hopefully I'll see a palm tree.
4: Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. Safe travels, eh? (laughs) Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate. There we go. Mike Fitchett with us, uh, the Sales NBL Coach of the Year, of course, Head Coach of the Nelson Giants, and part of the coaching setup too. With the Tall Blacks, they head off to Japan. Uh, Mike is off there, as you heard, tomorrow. It is 10 away from 8 o'clock. It's 5 away from 8 here on SENZ. And, of course, yeah, you can tune in tomorrow morning for live cricket coverage as the Black Caps take on the West Indies in the first of three ODIs against the Windies in Barbados. Actually, you've just had an email come through confirming New Zealand cricket's uh, schedule for the Future Tours programme uh, coming up um, as part of the World Test Championship. New Zealand are going to play Australia, England and South Africa at home between 2023 and 2027 and Bangladesh, India and Sri Lanka as well. They're away so going to be uh, doing a bit on the subcontinent as it were so uh, that's good and then they've got to play Uh, Aussie, England and Pakistan on a way to us as well a little bit later on. So uh, all those fixtures coming up, plus a whole bunch of T20 fixtures as well. Looks like New Zealand cricket is going to be busy right through till 2027. (laughs) It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. And uh, welcome to the show. A man whose uh, voice you'll probably recognise if you uh, tuned in last season for all the heartland rugby chatted it is kevin here from rugbyheartland.co.nz g'day mate how are you
3: good evening and happy new year
4: yeah thank you uh it's uh it's the first <laughs> time i've been ha- uh wished a happy new year in august but i appreciate the sentiment kevin hey um we've got another uh heartland championship of course about to kick off this weekend and uh, a couple of things I wanted to check up with you on because, of course, we had a bit of a, a funny old season last season due to COVID and things being shortened, et cetera, et cetera. Last season, they uh, they, they introduced uh, the Bill Osborne Taonga and, um, as a third trophy. Is, is that Was that just for last season or is that going to carry on this season?
3: No, that's going to carry on forever. Um, current holders are Poverty Bay and um, they will... Uh, It will be based on the the same principles as the Ramfurti Shield. The holder gets to defend it at home. So uh, in the first round, they play away, and uh, they will defend it on home turf against rapper Bush um, in round
4: two. Fantastic. Great initiative. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was just something that they had introduced for a cut-down year, uh, but I think it's a great idea. And, of course, the other thing that we've got this year for the first time is the Ian Kirkpatrick medal as well.
3: Yeah I mean um I mean it's, it's it's great I mean um and it's mainly because I'm guessing the um with with the also the the awesomeness of it being uh live on the telly um that uh you know people can get to see these guys uh perform um you know on the main stage as they say and uh it'll be great great for them to actually be able to to uh be rewarded for that.
4: Yeah, I mean, you've been able to watch Heartland games a lot thanks to your website and the, and the network that you've created with rugbyheartland.co.nz, but it is also fantastic to see that there's some resources being put into it now by uh, by Sky, and uh, we're going to see some of these games on, on the Sky platform more, more than we've ever seen before.
3: Oh, hundred percent. They they were gonna have one game a week, but um I I see that uh for this weekend we've actually got two games on. We've got one game on Saturday and of course the game at seven oh five on Sunday night. Um still scratching my head around that uh date. But um yeah, so we've got uh, South Canterbury uh playing uh Thames Valley, Storm Foxes at two thirty from Tamuka to and that's going to be live on Sky and Prime. And then on Sunday evening, after the, I think it's Manawatu hawks Bay game, uh, Palmerston, we've got Wairapa Bush uh, hosting North Otago at um, 7.05 kickoff.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? That'll be, uh, uh, mate, I'll tell you what, it'll be absolutely buzzing in the bush. Uh, they'll be uh, they'll be loving it, mate. Um, Now, we, we should uh, go through and, and, and check these teams out. Um, yep. I, I guess we should start with uh South Canterbury. I mean the 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 reigning Meads Cup champions um was it 16 straight uh, victories against Heartland opposition. Uh, they've been mm-hmm. they've been in fantastic form for for so long. Is there I mean we're usually having this conversation about Wanganui. Can anybody beat the Butcher boys? But now we're having the conversation about South Canterbury.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh certainly and um I had the privilege of going down and 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 meeting with the, the team before the Ramfetti Shield this year and uh, having a good chat with Nigel Walsh and that. And literally, I mean, they've only had a couple of changes from last season, so there is absolutely no reason why they can't continue their merry way. Uh, in Heartland, um, the guys have they've been training since December. They were getting ready for the Ramfurti Shield. They put up a great battle against Hawke's Bay. And um, so, yeah, it's sort of, they are definitely going to be at the, at the end of the comp. They're going to be there, thereabouts.
4: Yeah, they will be. Now you 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 think I don't know who's done this draw, but I, I it's it's great to see, you know, them playing Thames Valley first game of this season because of course they were pretty much the two top teams all through last season.
3: Yeah, I mean uh, I mean even the other game, West Coast Wanganui, is gonna be a battle royal as well and and um I mean everything is pointing to an awesome um opening round because um literally I mean Sure, you can drop that first game like in any competition. I mean, look at the way Liverpool's going at the moment. Um, but um, it, it, it was great. I mean, there's going to be some teams near the bottom like Man United at the moment, you'll be going, what? Um, but, and it will just make the whole competition a lot uh, better. Um, uh, uh, my boys from the East Coast, um, you know, they haven't won Round 1 since 2013. And the last time they did that, they beat Horafinua Capity by 25-24. to 24. So they're hoping history repeats on Saturday at uh, Ruatoria.
4: Yeah, well, all right. Well, let's uh, let's, let's just you, you mentioned South Canterbury um, at the top there. Uh, they haven't had many changes. For you, where where are they? Uh, maybe susceptible. I mean, you know, you talked about they haven't had many changes. They obviously won the whole thing last year. They gave they gave Hawkes Bay a hurry up in that Shield challenge too, just quietly. Um, so, I mean, do you mm-hmm. think anybody's going to get near them this season? And if so, where?
3: Well, I, I think if anything, um, I mean th- their back line is—they've uh, uh, got a, um, they're very heavy in the forwards. Um, but uh, I mean they've got the uh, young South African guy in uh, Etienne Van Thiel. Um he, He's been he's been going real. Well. Nick Strawn is still leading from the front. Um, <laughs> they are just they're, they're strong all over the uh, over the field, really, backs and forwards. So. Um, when they go down, they're going to go down fighting and it's going to be very close. Let's just say that as we move forward.
4: All right, okay, let's let's go with that. All right, so South Canterbury nailed on favourites then for you? Uh, let's say three to one, yeah. Three to one, okay. What about Thames Valley then? Their, their opponents uh, mm-hmm. in the in the opening game and their opponents in the final last year, uh, what have they done, Thames mm-hmm. Valley, and, and, and do you think that they'll be there or thereabouts again?
3: Um, i don 't think they 'll be thereabouts again, mainly because of the uh, they 've got they 've um had a few people you know hang up their boots and uh, and such what 's going to get them through this year is it 's their centenary and um but they do they 've um they 've uh, recruited pretty much locally um with and um they 've also got a young guy called dwayne Sweeney um playing in the back there at center for them as well, which is going to bring a bit of
4: experience to the pack yeah that is uh, that is fantastic. It's uh, great to see him running around uh, still. So, uh, Thames, South Canterbury, looking good. What about Wanganui then? I mentioned the Butcher Boys. Uh, They're perennial mm-hmm. challenges, uh, but they've probably dis- disappointed the last couple of seasons. They'll be disappointed themselves. Uh, will they be back stronger this season? Do you think it's between them and South Canterbury? No. No? Okay.
3: Uh, Wanganui <laughs> will be there. Um, I mean, uh, the thing is, uh, you know, they were really disappointed in the um, for not making the Meads Cup final last year. They are the Lahore Cup champions, um, mainly because we didn't get the opportunity to see the um, oh, what was the word I'm looking for there, the um, the semi-finals, uh, the top four semi-finals. And um, but uh, they are looking good. They they uh, came off uh, a defeat over the weekend to the Wellington Centurions, but uh, they had an awesome uh, battle uh, earlier on the week before against Hawke's Bay Saracens, and uh, they will definitely be uh, one of the top two. All
4: right, so they you're picking them to be there, well there or thereabouts. It's going to be them in South Canterbury by the sounds of things, uh, the way you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yep All right. Uh, well, what about what about North Otago then? Because they probably punched a bit above their yep. weight last year, didn't they?
3: They did. And um, the, the only reason I think they they may be uh, missing an action this year is that they have got fifteen deputants on the bench this year uh, to to pick from. Uh, they are completely rebuilding. They they had a good win uh, over the weekend against Otago Country. Uh, I think it was 38-17 or something like that. Um, but yeah i just think there's going to be the experience uh is going to show through um, and they they'll be a team to look at next year
4: okay the one one to keep an eye on and we might see a couple of bolters out of that team then some new faces uh poverty mm-hmm. bay you mentioned earlier they uh, they play king country away first round but uh, they also hold the uh, the bill osborne toanga, as we mentioned earlier uh, what have what have the bay yep. done in the off season how are they looking
3: they're looking actually. They've come across um, quietly. Uh, they, they. Um, I was sort of sitting back watching what they were doing. They, they weren't really doing much, I suppose you could say. And then um, they surprised me last weekend with a victory over the Hawkspace Harrisons. And now any victory over them is a big, is a big win. Um, so um, they will definitely be there for the Hawke Cup.
4: Yeah, Okay. So you think they'll be battling for that? Uh, and and Mid Canterbury, who traditionally are yep. reasonably strong as well, they uh, fell away a bit last season. But uh, and you know, it must hurt them to see South Canterbury, their, their big rivals, uh, southern rivals, doing so well. Uh, how how Mid Canterbury looking this season? I mean, I, I, I assume there are uh, there are a province that can borrow a little bit from uh, from the big boys just up the road, Canterbury. They might have a couple of players on loan. How are they looking?
3: Yeah, uh, they've got some chap called uh, Nasi Manu uh, oh, yeah. in their squad this year. Um, yeah, Nacho Man is uh, is back on the field of first-class rugby. So um, this is my bolter for for a top four, um, and I think that they'll uh, surprise many. Um, they've, I mean, they've been in the wilderness for the last couple of years. You know, this is traditionally a team that you would go, mm, yeah, I'll put some money on them. I think a few dollars on them this year will uh, will definitely show a return.
4: Okay, all right. So they definitely want to watch. I was just having a look. We don't seem to have um, any markets up at the TAB just yet. No, we've got MPC. Not yet. No, we've got MPC, we haven't got any Heartland uh, stuff. Oh no, actually, we do. We do. I just had to oh, we find it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's hidden under New Zealand for some reason, rather than just popping up. Um, so they've oh, that's probably why I
3: haven't found it myself.
4: Yeah. Well. <laughs> Looks like they might just be building it, mate. They've got Buller Mid-Canterbury, but it's all greyed out. Um, but they've got Buller paying 13s, Mid-Canterbury paying a $1 one. And Okay. And they've got King Country Poverty Bay, King Country 380, Poverty Bay 127. But again, all greyed out at the moment, so you can't actually bet on it just yet.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm having major PC issues here today. So I'm having to just go through bookmarks to try and find what I'm looking for. So um, under New Zealand, you say, hang on, yeah. let me bring that up so we can be on the same page. So rugby and then uh, New Zealand. Championship. There you there go. There go.
4: And then you yeah. click on that and they've got the Options. outrights as well.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, so int- um, I'm just having a quick look here and uh, I see some really good money about Midway. Yep. There we go.
4: There you go. About Midway is in Mid Canterbury at $9 to win the whole thing? Mm. No, below that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you're looking at West Coast at tens or twelve dollars at at Horowhenua Company, or are you looking at the Bay?
3: No, West Coast. That's the only, pretty much the only team I haven't mentioned yet. Mm. They, yeah. I had a pencil under them going into the season, uh, into the season They had a great victory over Nelson Bays and then uh, picked up a. Uh, a really in bad conditions, but they could have won by a more uh, victory over Marlborough to win the Seven Shield. Uh, first time they've held it since 2013-14. Uh, um, but the big one is it's the first time since 1980, that's, what, 40-odd years, they've beaten both Nelson and Marlborough in the same season. So um, they've recruited well, um, and to me, they are my pick, win the
4: Meads Cup this year. Okay, all right, West Coast. All right, well, there you go, paying $10 uh, in the outright championship. Uh, Let's just go through quickly there. South Canterbury, we've talked about a a, a 250, uh, Fonganui 325, Thames Valley 7s, North Otago 8s, Mid-Canterbury 9s, and then West Coast at $10. When we come back on SENZ Extra Time, Kevin's going to stay there, and we're going to go through the rest of the team's and get some more predictions. <laughs> With us is Kevin here from rugbyheartland.co.nz talking about the uh, Heartland competition kicking off uh, this weekend. Uh, we've uh, we've been through uh, half a dozen or so teams, or probably seven now, actually. Uh, so let's uh, wrap the, th- the rest and then see where they sit for you, Kevin. Harafenua uh, mm-hmm. um a team that have yeah. often uh, you know bothered, say, Wanganui their near neighbours and things. Where do you think they are at this season?
3: Yeah, um, they're they're in for a big year. I mean, um, their their whole team has got a a good solidness about it as well. Um, Their mercurial captain, Ryan Shelford, plays his 100th game for Horafinua this weekend. So uh, they will be um, really uh, hunting the pool, I suppose you could say, when they go up to uh, East Coast. Um, But I've got a horrible feeling East Coast are going to spoil the party there. But mm. um, definitely Horofanea for me will be uh, will be doing a Man United and coming from behind. But uh, I think they will uh, miss a couple of games and uh, end up in the Hawke Cup.
4: Okay, all right. And what about Puro East Coast? Because you mentioned them, they host mm. Horofanea Carpati first game. Um, are they likely to have Ma Nonu on a horse leading them, leading the way for them this season at all? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> he did look, he did look um, fantastic this, last year when he rode in though That was superb uh,
3: i tell you, it was great And I've got a friend in San Diego who, uh, who's um, a, a huge fan of his and, and she's just, you know, she's become uh, In America now, the East Coast has got a huge following um, I mean, this is still the, the, the number one follow team on social media um, they have recruited well. Jose Guerra is back again as coach. Um, they've got Joe Royal from uh, Northern uh, playing for them this year, um, and Joe Wadman is also another lone player. Jo- Josh Coffin, the uh, um, from King Country, he- he's in the squad. Um, they've got a, a very uh, nice look about them. One player to keep an eye on, and he performed really well in the Queen's Birthday game with Shaden Stevens. Uh, young Kiwi lad who uh, Jose apparently found playing rugby league in in Brisbane um, in the lower grades. he brought him back and he's got some uh, speed on out there on the wing. Um, so yeah, uh, East Coast I think will uh, do the same as last year, pick up two or three wins and some of them might surprise. Okay, well, that'd but be. They will, um, yeah, I think they will still though. Just be outside Lahore
4: Cup, unfortunately. Just outside, all right. What about the uh, the legendary White up Upper Bush? Uh, they of course host that Sunday evening game uh, at seven o'clock, uh, which I think is a, bit mm-hmm. a first, isn't it, for Heartland against North Otago? <laughs> how how are the Bush going to go this year? Uh,
3: they will definitely be chasing their namesake trophy. The I believe the um, Lahore Cup. Uh, they will, I think, they'll scrape them. Uh, I, I actually had the privilege of being in the dugout last Saturday when they played the Wellington Samoan team in Petone. Uh, it was really heavy going, but they definitely played well. And, um, and uh, the, the, again, uh, a legend of uh, Wairapa Bush, James Goodger. Um, I said, I thought you took up the whistle, pal. And he goes, oh, uh, I looked at how old I'm getting. I've only got a few games left. So James Goodger's back. Uh, in the locks there, uh, in the side. Um, and the imports, the, the, again, gone very local. Uh, they've only got a couple of imports. Uh, ben Brooking from Petone, uh full-back James Coburn from the Wellington Axemen, and uh, Tafa Tafa from Upper Hutt, but he played for them last year anyway, so it doesn't really count. Um, but Wairapa Bush, I think, um, will do the business, and... Um, they can only get better from where they were last year. Last year was very disappointing, and I'm sure that Mark Rootney has, uh, has got them uh, firing on all guns heading into this
4: weekend. Yeah, All right. And uh, what about Buller? Uh, of course, they'll, they'll be... I mean, you're, you're talking up West Coast. What about their near neighbours? Buller. My boys.
3: Uh, <laughs> how can I put this? Yes, um the, the the only problem I have with Buller is maybe the depth and and some of the travel. Uh, they are they are going to be there thereabouts, but unfortunately, I think they will miss out and they will be in that bottom four. I know I'm going to get shot now from those in Buller that are listening to this. Um, but um, they do have a young guy called James Lash uh, as assistant coach this year, yeah. along with the new coach Nathan Thompson. Um, and let's just say James Lash also pulled on the boots during the Seven Cup uh, pre-season. So uh, we're going to see the return of Mr. Lash. Yeah. Um, so um, and they're overseas. Uh, they've got an overseas player in Greg Foe, the Samoan uh, from Paniki. Um, he's been playing over in Sydney and um, on the flank. So he, he's there. Um, they've got a good team and. Um, and if anyone was going to provide that upset, I think it will be Buller this year, will be the sort of the team that bolts out of the blue.
4: Okay. Uh, and that there leaves us with one. And that leaves us as one. And that is, of course, King Country. And uh, I mm-hmm. mean, you, you mentioned uh, Wider Upper Bush maybe bothering their, their namesake trophy in the Lahore. Uh, I'm picking there's not much chance that King Country will be doing that with the Meads.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, they, they went down to karanaki uh last weekend, 48-45. to 45, uh, They bad. were sort of touched up, not bad, but even still, a high-scoring game, um, which doesn't say much for the defence. Uh, they had a uh, pre-season against North Otago and Taupo two weeks ago um, and went down in that one, 26-24, but that was also a very late try to the uh, King Country Rams. Um, they are celebrating their centenary. They have got a lot to play for. Uh, they've doled up um, the uh, Rugby Park at Tikawitie with lots of Meads uh, um, memorabilia around the around the ground. Um, uh, yeah, but I just... Yeah, I, I think they're definitely in a rebuilding phase and will be in bottom four.
4: OK, all right, so there we go. Uh, I do notice on your website, rugbyheartland.co.nz, you haven't alphabet alphabetized the teams. Uh they are in a certain order. Is that the order they finished in last year, or are you sort of doing a a, a sly prediction there? I really don't know what you're talking
3: about. Oh, well, um, it's the twenty twenty-two Heartland
4: actually... the twenty twenty-two Heartland championship table. You've got the one to twelve, you've got South Canterbury, Thames Valley. Fongenui, North Otago, Poverty Bay, Mid Canterbury, Horrifanoa Company, Nazi East Coast, West Coast, Wairarapa Bush, Buller and King Country. Uh, I would have figured you maybe Oh yeah, you... no, there was no Oh yes, I hear what you're saying now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, um I, I just loaded that up. No, um there was no pre prediction there. Um definitely um I I I'll have to go and update that now after this call. Um and then and then people can understand where I'm at. Um or am I just trying to get the odds pushed out for West Coast? Maybe, I
4: don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, let, now let's get some predictions from you. Um, now you've 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 tipped Meads Cup. You've tipped West Coast as the upset. Yes. And they they are paying ten dollars. What about uh, the Lahore Cup then? Who do you think is going to take that?
3: I'm going to have to lean to the Swamp Foxes. Okay. Um, Yeah. um, uh, I mean, no disrespect to Horafinua, Poverty Bay and Bush. I just think, um, you know, they've got that finals footy uh, mentality from the last couple of seasons. um, And I think it might be just that game too far for the other three. So um, I'd probably lean towards Thames Valley for the Lahore Cup.
4: Okay, coming to, uh, to Thames Valley there for the Lahore Cup. Um, I think we should ask you, too, and I know this might be a, a bit of a tough ask. There's a lot of players, a lot of new players, as you mentioned, a few of the teams, but have you got an, uh, an early favourite for the uh, Ian Kirkpatrick medal?
3: Oh, that is a good question. Um, if I was going to be leaning to anyone in particular... I think it would go to a player from the west coast, mm-hmm. and I think it will be Elliot Smith.
4: Elliot Smith from the west coast. Okay, what position yeah. is Elliot captain Smith play? Captain west coast. Uh, he's, center. he's a centre. He's a centre. Okay. So, and yep. uh and, and he's also the captain for the season as okay. well. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that. That's, that is a, is a great pick uh, that you've pulled out there, because of course. Um, you've you've invested in West Coast heavily. I, I'm wondering how much they've invested in you, uh, Kevin. um uh, I mean, to, to, to talk them up this much, what's going on?
3: Um, I do work for them, <laughs> um, but I also work for several other unions. But um, no, it's just um, they were there thereabouts a couple of seasons ago. They missed out last year. Uh, just um, they, you know, they 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 went down to South Canterbury in the Lahore Cup final. Um, in atrocious conditions, um, and we picked that uh, final um, ourselves earlier on in the piece, um, and I just think they are rearing to go. Um, John Sturgeon Park has had a lot of investment in the ground, um, which also um, all their home games this year are free to the public, so get along and and support the red and white. Um, Their sponsors are paying the gate fee, and um but they've just invested a lot uh, in updating the uh, ground and it's the best piece of carpet on the
4: west coast. Perfect, all right, good stuff Kevin. thanks very much for coming on and giving us your thoughts. I really appreciate it. go well and uh, we'll uh, touch base with you throughout the season eh?
3: Yeah, sure do and uh, and thanks for having us on and get out there and support Heartland rugby and show what real New Zealand rugby's about.
4: There you go uh, Kevin here with us from rugbyheartland.co.nz uh, that website. Is everything on it that you need to know about Heartland Rugby. Just looking at the TAB odds there for the outright winner. So the favourites at the TAB are South Canterbury at 250, who are the defending champions. Wanganui 325. Thames Valley, who were finalists last year, 7s. North Otago, 8. Mid-Canterbury, 9. West Coast, 10, which is Kevin's pick he was talking about. And then we go down to Horafinua Kāpere at 12s, Poverty Bay 18s, a Bush 31, Nazi East Coast 36, Buller 51 and King Country 51 as well. It's coming up up our state here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, we're going to be talking football in the Wellington Phoenix. It's 26 away from uh, 9 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. There is a game of... Uh, football involving the Wellington Phoenix kicking off in about an hour's time, and uh, Jordan Kernilis, uh from uh, Australia, who is an A-League football commentator, joins us to talk about this. Of course, uh, we're in the the last sixteen here of the uh, the really new named Australia Cup, and um, two of the uh, bigger clubs, two of the A-League clubs, left in the in the draw are thrown together in Melbourne City and the Wellington Phoenix. Uh, good evening, Jordan. You looking forward to this one?
0: Evening, Ricardo. I am. I'm looking forward to all the games tonight. It's always a uh, always a great time of the year when you've got this uh, this big chunk of games in the Australia Cup. You get to see the A League teams. You get to see the, the the second and third division teams in some cases. So it's a, it's a great time to be a football fan. If you're a football enthusiast, it's a, a great time for uh, for those uh, that uh, portion of the uh, sporting landscape.
4: Yeah, well, we've had a few upsets, haven't we? In in the uh, in the cup already. Um, I noticed that uh Sydney uh, United uh, one of the old NSL teams had a, had a big win
0: they did yeah on uh, on penalty shootouts as well the other night against Western United so the uh, the A League champions were knocked out by one of the traditionally stronger teams in the uh, in now the second division but Sydney United had a great uh, history back in the old NSL pre A League so um it was uh, the old boys getting back at the at the new boys in a way so they had a uh, a big win the other night, and um, Bentley Greens the other night so didn't get the win against Sydney FC, but definitely performed well against them too. So hopefully, there's a couple of more uh, cup sets, as they call them, tonight on the way.
4: Yeah, a couple of cup sets indeed. Well, do you think there might be a cup set tonight? I see the Wellington Phoenix over here at the uh, at the TAB are paying six dollars fifty to win this game, and uh, I mean they they beat Melbourne City in the cup last year
0: they did you know what i don't mind i don't mind wellington phoenix and what they're doing this season just seeing a couple of the names they've brought in uh kaya from bulgaria a few weeks ago and then the, the recent one is jan Sase. i think he pronounced his name from brazil and these are guys who are coming over from from you know reputable clubs they're a good age as well so um fuktele is certainly uh stocking up in his attacking midfield um department and look, melbourne city will go in as favorites they are Obviously, one of the uh, you know the, the, the champion from the A League two years ago made the grand final last season, and they've got an established squad, so that's always going to help them. Um, whereas Wellington Phoenix have done a bit more moving and shaking in the transfer window than, than City have, but uh, Talley's is a great manager. The squad is a good, it's a good squad. It's certainly one that. That's uh, exceeded a lot of our expectations here on this side of the ditch. So I don't think you can underestimate the Phoenix whatsoever in tonight's game.
4: Mm, It's a a decent side Melbourne City have put out, actually. I'm just just having a look. I mean, they've got the front line of Naboo, Leckie and McLaren out there. Uh, Jamison, good. Uh, Talbot, uh, Reese are in there as well at the back. Uh, Glover's in goal. Uh, It's probably a stronger team than we saw in the round of 32.
5: Yeah, I haven't.
0: I'm just in the car at the moment, on the way to uh, one of the games, so I haven't seen the team sheets come through. But by the sounds of that, yeah, that's that's pretty much the majority of what would be their starting eleven in most circumstances. Callum Talbot, there's a, a new fullback that they brought over, and he's he's apparently very very good too. He played a couple of games for Sydney FC. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that is that's a pretty strong squad for a round of sixteen. It's, you know, even at this stage, some teams. Uh, some of the A League teams will um, will put out a you know a half team, but that's actually pretty strong sounding.
4: Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, Jemison's captain, uh, Gom, Gomolka, uh, Berengua, and uh, Tilio make up the midfield uh, for Melbourne. Uh, the the Phoenix have put out a pretty strong side as well. Uh, looking forward to seeing this game get underway in about an hour's time. But uh, in terms of the FFA Cup, or as it's now known, the Australia Cup. Um, how are the A League teams approaching it? Because it seems like these two are taking it reasonably seriously. Have all the teams taken it this seriously, or a few treating it as a opportunity to try things?
0: Uh, they definitely take it as an opportunity to try things. Being in the middle of their off season or their preseason, they'll use this as uh, as time as a time to test things out. Plus, the A League season doesn't start for a while yet. It's going to be what another two months away. I think we are at, at this stage, so. It's still a bit of an experimental phase. Um, uh, Maybe for the players, and there's not that many, but for the players who would be looking for a berth at the World Cup for the Socceroos, they'd definitely be taking this as a good opportunity to keep themselves match fit. Um, We've seen a lot of uh, potential Socceroos go overseas. There's been a lot of players go to Scotland. But for those who have stayed here in Australia, they'll need as much game time as they can for a big lead-in because they won't get too many games in the A-League. There's only, I think, five or six weeks um, in the A-League before the World Cup begins. So for those players in particular, so the likes of Matthew Lecky tonight and Jamie McLaren as well, they'll be taking every opportunity they can to be match fit, to stay match fit uh, for a, a World Cup
5: selection.
4: Yeah, I was actually going to say to you, uh, I was going to bring it up, but might as well bring it up now. Is the uh, the amount of Australians playing in in the SPL at the moment is crazy? There's a, there's there's so many, and I, I noticed uh, Dundee United with Birighetti, um uh, haven't been going quite so good. I think they've they've shipped eleven goals in their last two games, so uh, a bit of work to be done there. We don't want to see a repeat of the old Michael Theo uh, export, do we? No, that's right. Yeah,
1: well, it
0: was I think it was Ipswich he went to Michael Theo and. And, uh, and conceded a bag of goals on his debut, and, and Mark Birigidi, uh There was a, it was a Europa League game, or Europa Conference League game, the other day. I forget the opposition, but yeah, they uh, conceded uh, conceded seven goals. Might have been RZ from uh, from the Netherlands, um, and yeah, but there's been a lot of yeah a lot of Socceroos in Scotland. I reckon there's about there's almost one at every team, just about, or, or maybe you know nine teams, which is the majority of the league. So there's a, a big um, there's been a big exodus to, to Scotland, but um, but I think that's all very, um, very sort of planned and calculated and, and well done as well for those players to, to get over to Europe. Um, but also that it's that to help them give them as good an opportunity as they can to, uh, to get match fit in a, in a decent league uh, for the World Cup.
4: Yeah, Obeyich is of course, uh, just signed up there too at, at Dundee United. Mate, I'll just uh, uh, I'll go through the, the, the squad for you for the Phoenix tonight, the starting 11 at least. Uh, Ollie Sale in goal, Callan Elliott, Sam Sutton, the fullbacks, backs Joss Laws, Scott Wooten at centre-back, uh, midfield of, of Clayton Lewis and Nicholas Pennington with Ben Old and uh, Boz D'Akrajev. Behind the front two of Ben Wayne and Costa Barbaroos, so pretty strong eleven from from them as well. Are you as surprised as I am that Ollie Sale is still at the Phoenix?
0: Um, yeah, you know what? To be honest, that's that's a good call. Yeah, he he's definitely one who could who could get a gig overseas. His his rise uh, in between the posts at the Phoenix in the last what two or three years now, he's elevated himself to be one of the best keepers in the A League. So. Um, I don't know, I guess you're, you're closer to the situation than, than I am, but I would say, yeah, for his quality, I mean, he's, I, I would say, in the top, maybe three or four goalkeepers in the A-League, and that should, that should be good enough to get, get your gig somewhere else.
4: Yeah, well, I was going to say, with Birugiti going, he probably is, I would have said he's probably the best keeper in the A-League after what we saw last season, but, yeah, it's interesting. So, two big teams going head-to-head. Uh, I mean, are, are you brave enough to call it, mate? Because this, this, this looks like pretty, it could be pretty close on paper.
0: Uh, I hope it is. I hope it is. And that, that Phoenix team is pretty strong. Um, there's there's not many players off the top of my head that that would uh, push out any of those players in. Maybe someone like Ben Old in the, in the run of the, uh, the, the league season might be someone who comes off the bench. But even in the games I saw him last season, he was actually pretty decent. So, uh, look, I'll, I'll, the safe bet is Melbourne City. So if I want to play it safe, I'll say Melbourne City. Um, but you know what? I love an upset and I, I have a fond... Um, a place in my heart for the Phoenix, so I'll be I'll be going for the Phoenix tonight.
4: Uh, which which game are you commentating tonight?
0: No, uh, I'm not commentating. I'm just going as a fan tonight to see Oakley against Brisbane City. So I'm making the drive down. It's about a thirty to forty minute trip from my place down to Oakley, but I'm looking forward to it.
4: Yeah, the Oakley Cannons taking on Brisbane City. Short favourites over here. A dollar twenty two. Brisbane City are eight bucks. They were seven last night, so uh, something something's happened. Uh, what's what's the oil on the on the Oakley Cannons?
0: The Oakley Cannons have been dominant in the uh, NPL Victoria this season. So that's, that's, uh, that'd be a massive reason why they're in the top two, I think on the ladder from last I checked, but it's been them and South Melbourne in the Victorian league who have been dominating things. So uh, a lot of people are sort of predicting a South Melbourne Oakley Cannons grand final in Victoria in a couple of weeks. So yeah, Oakley have a strong team and, um, and I haven't seen much of Brisbane city. I won't lie because they're up in the, up in Queensland, up in the other end of Australia, but but Oakley, I know, are really, really good.
4: Yeah, and we've also got uh, Brisbane Raw we'll take on Avondale Heights uh, tonight as well. Where, where's Avondale Heights? Avondale
0: is in, uh, it's probably, what I say, sort of northern outer suburbs of Melbourne. So um, they're within Melbourne, it's a suburb of Melbourne. Right. Um, but they are, as a team in the NPL Victoria competition, they've been one of the better teams in the last three or four seasons. They are a club that's had a, a good backing have had a lot of uh, decent players from the A League who have come down to play in their squad in the last couple of seasons. This season in particular hasn't been as strong for them, but they are still in the uh, in the top five or six teams on the table. So, um, and playing up at Broadmeadows, they it's a, it's a very windy, uh, cold venue up there. So maybe the uh, the Brisbane Raw players might not be so acclimatized to those conditions, being from the sunny state. But uh, Avondale, I'd say that that could actually be that might be your best chance tonight for. A second division team to beat a, a first tier
4: team. Yeah, they're paying five fifty uh, versus dollar forty four in that one. The draw at four fifty, and they got uh, Adelaide City take on Adelaide United. The uh, the derby, of the City of Churches. United short favourites at a dollar fifty seven. Adelaide City paying four eighty in the draw at four bucks.
0: Uh, yeah, Adelaide City, another old team from uh, from NSL days. So aside from. Uh the old competition, a former Glory team, they were one of the uh, the great teams of the old generation of Australian football. And Adelaide United, I'm curious to see how they go this season. Uh, they made finals last season in the A League, uh, and they've brought back a couple of uh, a couple of decent names. Ben Halloran comes back into the team. Not sure if he's in the starting eleven tonight, but he's one of the uh, one of the, the very good players uh, from the A League, and uh, might even be half a shout for as a bolster for the Socceroos team. But uh, yeah, I'd be tipping the uh, the Reds in that game tonight.
4: Yeah, Adelaide United indeed. Actually, while you're talking about uh, Victorian MPL teams, what are the Melbourne Knights doing these days?
0: Melbourne Knights are floating around. They've had a couple of lean seasons. They've, uh, they've, they've well, back when I was covering the league more extensively, they were sort of mid-table to, to lower ends of the table a couple of years ago. They've had some good years of late, but uh, but this season hasn't been as dominant. But I think they might still. I think they are in the running for the finals at the moment, but had a few financial issues in the, club in the last couple of years, but I think they, they're getting back on their feet now and being more competitive.
4: Yeah, they haven't they've got... Mark Faduka's not bankrolling them?
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I think Mark is still uh, running a coffee shop over in Croatia somewhere. So <laughs> I know he comes... He, he flies in and out of Australia very quietly, Mark Faduka. He keeps a low profile, but maybe he's got some... Uh, I think he might have interest in Melbourne Knights. I know he keeps in touch with the club in, in various manners.
4: Yeah. yeah, nice. Good stuff. All right, Jordan. Hey, listen, we'll let you go, mate. I know you're. Uh, you, it sounds like you're getting close to getting to the ground. So we'll let you go and enjoy your football and get a beer in before we'll kickoff as well, mate. Thanks very much for your time.
0: Appreciate it, Ricardo. Anytime.
4: Cheers. Uh, there you go. Uh, Jordan Canellas, uh, one of the A-League commentators from SEN over in Australia talking uh, the FFA Cup or the Australia Cup as it's now called. Yeah, those four games will kick off in 43 minutes and they are all streamed live on YouTube as well if you want to go and find the Melbourne City, a $1.36 favourites to beat the Wellington Phoenix who are paying 6 dollars the draw in that one. Adelaide City, as I mentioned, four eighty against the A-League opponent, Adelaide United. So a Derby there, uh, Adelaide United are a dollar fifty seven favorite, the draw at fours and Adelaide City at four dollars eighty at the TAB. Avondale Heights uh, in North Melbourne there, five fifty to beat the Brisbane Roar at $1.44 with The draw at $4.50. And then the Oakley Cannons, where Jordan's off to paying a dollar twenty-five to beat Brisbane City, who are paying eight bucks, and the draw is five dollars fifty. And those teams are out, yep, four. Uh Phoenix fans, if you want to have a look, uh, the teams are out. And uh, that Phoenix team that they have put out is a pretty strong-looking uh, starting eleven. Only sale in goal. Callan Elliott, Josh Laws, uh, Scott Wooten and Sam Sutton as the back line. Clayton Lewis and Nicholas Peddington are the holding midfielders. The attacking midfielders are Ben Old and Bozdar Kraev, the new Bulgarian international signing. Ben Wayne and Costa Barbarousas are up front. On the bench, Alex Poulson is the reserve keeper, then Finn Sermon, Oscar Van Hadam, Jan Sass, who is the new Brazilian winger that they've just signed, Jackson Manuel, uh, Noah Curantani, uh, and uh, Riley Bidwa uh, fill out the bench. So a few of the academy players on the bench for the Knicks tonight for that game kicking off at 9.30. It is... Uh, Twelve away from nine here on SENZ. It's eight away from nine here on SENZ. Extra time. Ricardo Paul with you through till eleven o'clock this evening. Uh, just had the final whistle in the uh, Wednesday night NPC match. Otago getting the win over Hawke's Bay, uh, eighteen to thirteen. The final score. A tight contest this one, and a big win for Otago. Uh, a great one for them. They they've got to back up this weekend. Because they have to, uh, they've got the big Southern Derby on, so they are, will be playing uh, Southland this weekend. So a big win for them against Hawkes Bay, and for Hawkes Bay, uh, you know they've had a, a reasonably solid start to the season. I mean they beat uh, Counties in that uh, in that Shield game. They drew with Waikato, who are two very uh, decent teams as well. But uh, this will be a bit of a blow. Josh uh, Sims, their coach, won't be happy. They drop that one. They do get a bonus point for finishing within seven, but yeah, eighteen to thirteen, Otago winning that game and. Fantastic for them. What it means, uh, looking at the uh, at the ladder. Well, they haven't quite updated that yet. But uh, I mean, Hawkes Bay. We talk derbies. Hawkes Bay have got Manoa two this weekend. So um, they're both teams uh, backing up with derbies this weekend. Uh, But what that means is that, uh, Otago get that win. The five. uh, Sorry, the four points for it. At this stage, will lift them to the top of the odds conference above Hawke's Bay, or uh, on the same points as Hawks Bay, because Hawks Bay will get a bonus point. So there you go, that uh, game in the odds conference as it were. They're going to come up with better names than the odds and evens conferences, don't they? Uh, uh, but as yeah, a good win for Otago, solid win, especially against a team in their conference as well, a team that's topping uh, the conference at the moment. So the uh, NPC uh, carries on. Of course, we do have another full round kicking off on Friday night. And that is Counties Manukau take on Waikato. Counties into a $2.35. They were out at two seventy dollars at one point. Uh, but, of course, they do have uh, Nipo, Lau, Lala, Hoskins, Satutu, and Dalton Papali'i available. They were released to them from the All Blacks. So maybe that's affected the price. $2.35, they are now playing Waikato, who are paying $1.62. And the draw is $18. Uh, Taranaki, who have uh, done it rough so far, this season, uh, got touched up by Bay of Plenty last weekend. They are at home to Canterbury, who of course have been on fire. Taranaki paying six dollars in that one. And the Cantabs a dollar eleven, even though that is in Taranaki. Wellington hosts Northland, their favourites, a dollar twenty-five. Northland paying fours. And then the Saturday uh, late afternoon game is North uh, Harbour, $2.70. Tasman Harbour two dollars seventy, Tasman a dollar fifty. The draw is at eighteen dollars. Then on Sunday. Uh, just the one game which is, uh, it's not just the one, there is another game isn't there? Auckland versus Bay of Plenty, Auckland big favourites at $1. 42. Uh Bay of Plenty paying $2.80 and uh, yeah, it seems it's not a market up for that Hawks Bay Manawa two game just yet, maybe that's because Hawks Bay have just played and no market up for the Southland Otago game yet either but uh, yeah, big round of NPC coming your way. Uh, this weekend and of course we have a test match this weekend as well uh, between uh, the Black Ferns and the Aussies, Uh, that one taking place in Christchurch so make sure you watch out for that because that is going to be the big game on your TV on Saturday night, the Black Ferns taking the Aussies, I believe that one is in Canterbury so one to look out for keep an eye out for that one it is coming up to 9 o'clock here on SENZ when we come back it is Hoopheads. Justin Nelson and Casey Frank in the house. It's just gone 10 o'clock here on SCNZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Uh, coming up shortly, we're going to be joined by Matt Reed, out of the UK Football Journalist. And uh, we're going to talk to him about A few things, including the transfer window, which uh, is open, and uh, we're still seeing rumours and activity. Another two weeks of this before that all settles down. You can concentrate on your football. Uh, We'll talk Everton, we'll talk United, we'll talk Darwin Nunes, the new Liverpool signing, as well as amongst other things. Uh, Now, I did mention earlier in the evening, the Wellington Phoenix are playing in the Australian Cup. Uh, They are playing Melbourne City, who, uh, of course, they knocked out last season, uh, but uh, one of the big boys in the league. And currently, uh, they lead Melbourne City 1-0, a Costa Barbarossa's goal giving them the lead after 19 minutes. We'll keep you up to date with that as the game progresses. But joining us now uh, to talk football from the UK is Matt Reid. G'day, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Uh, I think uh, considering, good considering, should we say, as a Manchester United fan at this stage of the season, nothing is easy.
7: No, no, absolutely. Well, it may, I was going to say it makes a change, but it doesn't, does it? Because it's years and years and years of this now. Um, you're 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 in that position that a lot of people were saying, well, you know, big change of manager, and you know, look what happened to. Uh, to Liverpool after they uh, they had ended their run of title wins and um, and it all went wrong and they didn't win for a couple of seasons and, and that's where, United are now. I'm afraid.
4: Yeah, a lot of work to do and it doesn't feel like your manager's got much to do with it. Really, I think uh, the, uh, no. the, the the owners and and a few of these. I mean, I see John Murta, who has you know uh, effectively taken over running the transfer policy. He's just another banker, so it's it's more of the same uh, blokes who don't even know how to play. Football manager on the PC, let alone do it in real life, uh, running the transfer business. It's uh, its horrible to watch.
7: Yeah, yeah, I do. And, you know, with my, um, my non-Anti-United um, hat taken off, I'm not anti-United in the slightest. I'm strictly impartial. But I grew up at a time when in the playground, um, and I grew up in Norfolk, um, probably half of the children in the playground were Manchester United fans, but they were very much part-time Manchester United fan. They're not engaged in the way that you are, Rick. It was it was a uh, it was a continual grind as a non-Manchester United fan to uh, to just watch year after year Manchester United winning the title. And that's that's what happened in the nineties and noughties. Um, it's now a, a very different time and I and I, I do truly feel for Manchester United fans because there was a, a huge hardcore, best supported team in the country without a question, um, who are pulling their hair out at, at the fact that the club is being run as a business uh, and it's being run to make money and to be asset stripped and, and repeatedly year after year with extra funds being taken out of the club the focus being on the commercial and being on the revenue rather than actually being on how to make Manchester United a successful and winning team and it's, uh, it's a destruction of a a key asset for the UK and for UK football so it is a It's
4: a real shame. Yeah, there has been some talk of, um, you know, a a consortium potentially. I know Michael Knighton's trying to put something together um, and there has been uh, some talk about Sir Jim Ratcliffe being involved as well. Is is there anything to that, do you think, or is this all just United fans who are hoping uh, making up stories? Uh, There's... uh... There,
7: there are definite, um, legitimate quotes coming out from key and very wealthy figures, but they're quotes that have been generated by um, by good reporters uh, asking questions at junkets and at uh, and at uh, media opportunities for their businesses, uh, and kind of connecting two things together and creating a situation out of it. I, I, the issue at the moment is that. Man the, the owners of Manchester united the glazer family have no interest in selling now that could change if there is a significant drop-off in um in commercial um turnover and in in, in revenue generated by the club by ticket sales tv rights long-term etc that's quite a long-term thing but there are plans for the Liverpool match, for non-attendance, and these these uh, these protests have been have been in place um, in the past, and they've really come to being five thousand, ten thousand fans, the real the real hardcore of uh, anti glazer protesters. I um, mean, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, or putting their feet where their mouths are, and and not attending, or from standing outside the, the ground, or from a green a green and gold protest, etc. But the numbers haven't been great enough. The, the, because of the, the poor start to the season, because of getting getting drubbed by one of the lowest funded but best well-run clubs in the country in, uh, in Brentford and to be fair, Brighton are in a fairly similar position to them um, as far as being really well-run and uh, not particularly um, like, you know, funded in a big way, outperforming themselves. Um, there, there, there is a growing momentum and uh, I think that this protest is getting much more attention now from the national press. Um, but it's also from fans' groups and from um, the wider Manchester United audience rather than the real hardcore Stratford Enders. Mm. So I, I think there's a really good chance that the stadium could be twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 people short of what it should be for the Liverpool match, which is one of the standout matches of the season. And potentially there could be a picket line created all the way around Old Trafford, which in that situation, the tourist fans, the uh, the people who aren't uh, aren't engaged in in the in the bigger um, project of Manchester United, who are there for seeing a club who they love, but they only go and see them once or twice a season. They'll be fully aware of the situation, and if a picket line is formed around the around the, the ground, with uh, I'm not suggesting there should be aggression, but with the kind of like the uh, uncomfortable atmosphere that, that brings and the, the the feeling of like malevolence then that could potentially put off a lot of people from going into the ground. And even though they bought their tickets, it could lead to a lot of empty seats. So this is this is where the power lies with the fans. The fans need to be um, draining money from the club and from showing that, that revenue will be reducing. And that's, that's the way to, to create a change because that's what drives the Glazer family.
4: Now, I know that uh, against the, the, the last game of the preseason against Rayo Vallecano, they uh, protested, Uh, across the front of the superstore so no one could get in and uh, they end up having to shut the superstore. Uh, 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 I I would imagine that that is the sort of thing that's going to get attention. I I saw John Smith, uh, who's a football agent, talking on Talk Sport the other day. He suggested that uh, he thinks the Glazers will probably sell within the next two years and that there's um, a bunch of different suitors lined up who, who, who are interested in buying it. But his point was there's six Glazer siblings and that's part of the problem is trying to get them all to agree on anything
0: yeah yeah
4: well that is definitely part of it um there is a there isn't there isn't just the,
7: the the one dominant malcolm glazer there are there are a lot of people who are involved in the ownership and in the profiteering from Manchester united um and it's very hard i mean the more as you as you probably know from working in in larger and smaller businesses the the, the bigger the organization the more people you have to go through to get approval for things to go on and the slower it, it takes to get things done but the the, the, the long and short of it is, if you if you have enough money being offered to uh, the Glazer family, and they can and and enough hassle on the other side of it from retaining their assets, that's what's going to create the sale situation. So, if uh, if a Jim Ratcliffe, who is worth billions and billions and billions, um, is is going to come in and is going to offer. Serious money to purchase the uh, purchase um, United, and it would be the equivalent of taking 20, 30 years to be uh, to be making that money out of the continual asset stripping and all the rest of it. Then, then that will be the driver for the sale. But the, the, it's going need to be an enormous offer for a club which is really, really struggling. The alternative, of course, is. Um, Manchester United um, being relegated at the end of the season—that's uh, the the alternative driver—and it's extremely unlikely because there are seven or eight very weak clubs at the moment in the Premier League um, who are who are probably going to be a good a good ten ten points short of the of the top ten to twelve teams because there is this big divide in in um, the level and the quality of management and the level of performance of these teams. Um, so it's hard to see Manchester United going down, but. Um, if it carries on like this, then that could be enough to to panic the Glazers because um, as much as the enormous revenue generated by by shirt sales and ticket sales at Manchester United is a big thing, it's nothing compared to TV money and that TV money disappears if you're relegated to the Premier League.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it also disappears if you don't make the Champions League or you don't make the Europa League, right? So, I mean, that's got to be hurting a, a little at least.
5: Yeah,
7: but it's but it's not it's not comparable. I mean, the the power of the Champions League deal um, was diminished and watered down significantly a couple of years ago when the latest Premier League deal um, was signed. Um, and yes, it's it's an important top up, and it's what and it's what separates um, the top four teams from the teams below, and the top six teams from the teams below from, from the rest of the league. Um, but it's it's the bulk of the money is from the from the premier league deal the premier league deal is the big deal um and the, uh, the Champions league deal is a is a is a nice large cherry on top um but yeah if if Manchester united have a few seasons outside of the uh, outside of the, the champions league then wage bills will come into play and um, again the asset looks less desirable to a uh, to to owners who are getting a lot of hassle a lot of flack, and um we'll be thinking well where are our returns from this you know is this something which is a benefit to us anymore should we get out Uh, and there will be brand if it goes on for long enough there will be brand damage because as much as you hand down your shirt to your son and your daughter um it's uh it, it becomes less of an appealing thing to be picked up and to be a manchester united fan if manchester united aren't a team who are one of the big clubs and who are in and around and challenging for all of the history and all of the culture and all of the incredible things attached to Manchester United, winning is, is a drug to a lot of fans. And that's, that's, the, that's the thing which keeps the top teams at the top. And I mean, I, I look on the streets of, uh, um, I mean, I live in the Midlands, I live in Leicester, um, but I travel around the country a lot for work. And you look on the streets of every every city and town, and I've been to Bolton recently, I've been to Manchester, I've been to Liverpool, I've been to London, and there are a heck of a lot more Liverpool shirts on the streets now than there were 15 years ago, when there were very, very few. Because Liverpool are a a remarkable success story, and all of their, all of the tales of the past and the, the enormity of their successes are being spoken about again, and they've been spoken about as winners uh, and that's very quickly forgotten, isn't it? When, uh, when a club doesn't win a trophy for five, ten years in the way that's happened with Everton and Aston Villa uh, and Newcastle. Although Newcastle are kind of turning a corner now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, a time, of, a time of, of change potentially for Manchester United. And that could be a good thing. The Liverpool match uh, on Monday with attendance or non-attendance, I think, will be absolutely key.
4: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. It's been uh, I see a few people of tongue-in-cheek build at a relegation battle, uh, third round of the uh, <laughs> of the Premier League. Of course, Liverpool have started with two draws against a Fulham team who were, I think, odds-on to be uh, relegated. I think they were the the, the favourite to be relegated at the start of the season. They drew yeah. with them uh, and then drew with Palace as well, who, of course, last time they played, I think Liverpool won 7-0. So uh, not all going well. And, and Darwin Nunez as well with that headbutt on Anderson. Uh, gets sent off This a talk that it might not be a three-game ban, but potentially a five-game ban?
7: Yeah, it's it's a question of, of how far into the um, violent conduct bounds it pushes. Um, I didn't see the game live. I, I came in and I watched the highlights, which is very bad of me, really. Um, but, but having having watched it back, and, and I, I was listening to it as it happened, because um, I was travelling, and I, I expected it to be um, much more of a... Am i am going to put this delicately um much more of a throw your head back and um and i you know, catch somebody you know on the bridge of the nose kind of head but it wasn't quite like that um from the way but the, the way it was described would made, made it seem like that and um there actually has been a bit of a change of uh, of tone admittedly majority from uh from uh, liverpool-based reporters david maddock at the uh, at the mirror being a being a leading voice um about uh, about how uh, about how, how it wasn't that bad. I mean, the fact is, it was a headbutt, um, and if you headbutt somebody, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter if the player goes down and rolls around. It doesn't matter if there's blood. It doesn't matter this, this, and that. It, it, it's the act of headbutting somebody. Um, so there, there is being a review, and there'll be a, there will be there are questions being asked about whether it will go from being the three-game ban for the red card. Or um, and or it will be increased
4: because of the severity of the incident. Because mm. um, he didn't headbutt but him once. Strong... He headbutted him twice. Right? He 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 tried to. yeah.
7: He did try. He did try. It was the first one was a was a was a slightly more innocuous backward type um, headbutt attempt um, I mean, you use the word we use the word headbutt and it does paint a kind of picture, it's well worth watching but please watch it at full speed, don't watch it on the slow-mo, mm. because I think this is where there's been a distortion from a lot of Liverpool supporters groups trying to suggest that it's not that bad uh, watch it at full speed, it's a headbutt there's no question about it, watch it at slow speed and it, it looks like he's almost missed his, fa- missed his face when he's trying to headbutt I mean, it kind of catches him below the chin um, but it doesn't change the fact. This is uh, an extremely aggressive act, and uh, and it's something which is not going to be welcomed by um, by the Premier League. And officiating will be there. Will be there will be meetings, um, you know, behind closed doors, and um, I, we expect to be hearing about it from before the end of the week about the uh, about the length of the ban. Yeah.
4: Um,
7: it, it's, it it continues a bit of a, a bit of a tone about the challenges of adjustment. Of Argentinian and Uruguayan players who are among the most feisty, um, who uh, are involved in football uh, and um, who, who stand up for themselves. Let's put it that way. Um, going back to the days of Gabriel Ainsa at, um, at Manchester United uh, in, his, in his first season um, with some very suspect tackling, and then moving on to uh, Luis Suarez, obviously with his long career of controversial moments. Uh, and you know, there, there were countless examples. Um, of of suspect and slightly too aggressive um, play and uh, responses to being basically being jostled and shoved around by defenders uh, or by your opposite man. And uh, it's going to be a very steep learning curve for Nunes. I suspect if he does only get a three-match ban, there's a very good chance that Klopp will not put him back in automatically because it is such a naive thing to do. And it's so incredibly unhelpful to his team for him to show that lack of control in the way that he did he didn't he hadn't played particularly well was undoubtedly wound up by missing a couple of good chances on his home debut and all the excitement built up and attached to that um but you know this this he's not he's not 18 years old you know this isn't, this isn't his first like you know professional match and it's not even his debut for liverpool because he's played in the away match it's uh, it's shows a lack of control and a lack of understanding about how to handle yourself Mm. at the top level. I know when I say top level, he's played in Portugal and he's scored lots of goals. Um, But this is the the Premier League of Premier Leagues. This is the top league in the world. And there are some very clever and wily defenders. Um, And he wasn't really even being wound up that much. So there needs to be a bit more control from Nunes. And I think there'll be some points uh, very clearly made by uh, Jurgen Klopp to say, well, you know, you might you might have had your three game ban. I think maybe you'll miss another one now because you're not you're not deserving of coming back in the team because so you let it down so badly with what you did against Crystal Palace when we should have been winning.
4: Mm, yeah, it's interesting to see how that is going to play out. Of course, I, I did like it. He's already, you know, like Luis Suarez got Chewy Suarez. He's already been dubbed Angry Carroll instead of Andy Carroll. I, I see because they've got similar so <laughs> haircuts. So uh, yeah, those might stay with him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, opposition fans can't think, "Oh, here's a bloke we can wind up and 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 target him." Hey, the uh, the. Um, powers that be have got a busy week then because they've not only got this to deal with but uh, they've got a couple of managers out of London and Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte to deal with and while I don't think Conte's going to get off scot-free Thomas Tuchel said a lot of things post-match after the incident uh, which I think will probably even get him in more trouble
7: Yeah, yeah absolutely um, So Tuchel spoke about the uh, about the officiating um, there, was, uh, there was a, 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 a an inference of um, Anthony Taylor not being suitable for, uh, for refereeing um, matches of this level, uh, talking about um, or challenging the, uh, the decisions that were being made. He didn't go out and, uh, and call him a cheat. It wasn't. It wasn't pushed to that kind of uh, level. But there was a lot. There was a lot of undermining of the referee. Um, and again, where, where the wily managers and the managers who've been burnt by this in the past will say, "Well, I can't talk about that; I'll get into trouble," or you know, they'll choose their words more carefully. Tuchel, who's a very experienced manager now, um, he didn't he didn't really um, pull his punches, so so that's that'll be a big issue for him. And obviously, that's coming off the back of um, the interaction, shall we call it, with, uh, with Conte at the end of the, uh, of the match, where I have a little bit of sympathy with him. Um, the, uh, the, the kind of uh, the throwaway nature of the handshake from Antonio Conte was pretty disrespectful, um, but it was... Uh, it's quite a quick reaction to be grabbing hold of his hand and holding on to it as he's, as he's walking away rather than releasing it. He you know, not receiving some, like, some eye contact half a second later. So Tuchel, the aggressor, uh, then Conte flew off the handle when, he, when uh, Tuchel refused to let go of his hand and drew him back in and accused him of being unsporting uh, and saying that he should have made, made eye contact and had a bit of respect in his handshake. Um, it's Tuchel tried to play that part of it down in his post match, uh, whereas Conte was slightly more robust um, in his answers on the topic. I, 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 because of the size of the melee, this, these situations are normally um, lead to more punishment off the back of the response to the situation. So if, if it had been the two of them, as has been, as has been hammed up with memes and things like that had been one, one grabbing the other's hand and shaking hands and then spinning around and doing a dance to uh, some strictly come dancing music <laughs> in the way that it's been kind of dressed up online. Um, then that would have been, it would have been uh, swept away and it wouldn't have been an issue, but the, you then had um, Chelsea security coming in. You had coaches, you had pretty much the entire uh, Chelsea and uh, uh, Tottenham teams coming in and getting involved. You had Aspira, Aspira coming in and winding up Antonio Conte at the end of it, his former manager. Um, so, that, so it, it just it dragged on too much. And um, even though uh, punches weren't thrown, and and it was and it was just a really a, like like a, a prolonged, an awkward holding of hands. It is something which the, is unedifying, and it's uh, and it's not um, it, bringing the game into disrepute is the term that's used, um, and that's a bit strong. But it's it's an it's an unsavoury scene that the football authorities don't want to have attached, even though it has us talking and it has fans, um, you know, chatting on the topic for days. Um, it's not something which can be encouraged, so there will be punishments like doled out to uh, to both Chelsea. And Tottenham are probably
4: in the form of fines. Yeah, fines are for failing to control their managers rather than their players, uh, and and probably yeah. uh, reasonably, I don't know, lengthy, but I would say more than one game touchline bans for both of them as well, off the back of uh, yeah, because you I, had I, the halftime thing as well. Yes, they
7: they 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 had the half they had the halftime moment. They, they already had the uh, the red cards were were dished out, and then it didn't calm down quickly. So. Um, i i i suspect i suspect it will um it will be maybe an extra games ban for both for both managers um what normally happens and it's not just is that even if one party is responsible for something happening or one party is the chief aggressor um you don't normally find that there is an even ha- an even handing out of uh, of the punishments just to keep everything quite cordial cordial being uh, an interesting word to use um so I, sus- I suspect there'll be a two-game ban for, for both of them and there'll be a, a large fan, the fine. The, f- the fine will probably be based on the number of people uh, involved in, uh, in, in the melee. Uh, and so there might be a slight difference there in the thousands of pounds that the clubs have to pay out for the uh, disruption.
4: Mm, yeah, all right, mate. Uh, let's uh, move on one more uh, to one more topic, which is uh, Everton, of course, across the, uh, across the, uh, the Stanley Park from Liverpool, uh, quite uh, contrasting fortunes. Uh, for them over the last few seasons. Uh Frank Lampard is uh in charge there. Um and recruitment's not going you talk about recruitment not going well for United, recruitment's not really going well for them either. <laughs> they've got they've lost Richarlison, uh Calvert Lewin is injured for some time and uh they they really are down on firepower, but he seems intent just by every midfielder around. Um uh, and and now he's trying to get rid of one. And Dele Alli, Um I mean, where's where's things gone wrong for Alley? Was a regular at England. Was a regular at Tottenham with Harry Kane, and now he can't get a game at Everton. And he's still only twenty six.
7: There's this thing in football called second season syndrome, and Alley's second season syndrome didn't happen in his second season. It happened after the World Cup. So he so he would reached a point where he where he signed the new contract at Tottenham, which had more than doubled his money. Um, he um, he then started getting more getting more involved in social media. He then started getting more involved in the uh, in the social and celebrity scene. Not to suggest he was going out and to China whites or a leading leading nightclubs and uh, and like you know, getting drunk at night and that kind of thing. But he was he was his eye was slightly taken off the prize, and he he didn't manage to kick on from the World Cup where he where he was viewed as being one of England's best players. Um, this is back in 2018. He, he there's also a documentary with uh, where Jose Mourinho um, kind of unpicked his game and where things had gone wrong, saying that he wasn't training particularly well. Um, there was a break-in at his uh, at his house, not far from the top from the Spurs lodge, the training ground, um, where I can't remember the exact details, but there was but they but him and members of his household were kind of uh were, were held by the by the looters in the house um and all of this has just been a kind of a pointer to um an unsettled and an unhappy time for uh for delhi alley and it's been some time now it's you know he had his first two seasons at Spurs and he came in for m k dons as a five million pound signing and he was scoring goals he was a significant link up with um with was Harry Kane. It was the two of them together before um, Jungmin Son had come come along as the the key right-hand man or left-hand man to uh, to Harry Kane. And he was a star. He was an absolute star of that team. And Tottenham were a top four um, team at the time, reaching Champions League finals uh, a little bit later, etc., it's just it's gone wrong over the last couple of years and uh, for multiple reasons that his, his his eye has been taken off the prize money has become a a bigger player and this is what so often happens with young players young players who who get embroiled in the celebrity of football and in the wealth of football lose their focus players who have targets who don't believe they've made it and continue to graft and to drive on and to keep working and working and working and obsessing about playing football, are the ones who go on to have long and rich careers. This is the the kind of Paul Scholes mentality, the Steven Gerrard mentality, the players who really, really love the game. Um, Wayne Rooney as well. It's the street footballers, and uh, there were and there's just been have been too many additional. Details attached to Delhi Ali's uh, career and life. There's also a lot of questions. I was, I've been in a number of, uh, of mixed zones and interview opportunities with uh, with um, with Delhi over the years. And I remember it's uh, it's England. The when um, he was still a, a first choice pick for the England team, so it was probably about 2017, 2018, maybe even 2019 time. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, but when the questions were coming up about him changing his name on his shirt from Ali, as he was as he was always had his shirt. Um, the surname of his estranged father um, to Delhi, and uh, and the the national press. I had no interest in this. It's a very tedious story. We're just obsessed with his father and with the story in the background of this. Um, it's not the kind of journalism that I go in for, and that affected him. He, he was. It was a. It was a. He had a little. He a little chat. The question came up. I rolled my eyes and and, and they and he left. Um, and it, and all of these extra issues around Delhi Ali's life. Have been a distraction from what is his remarkable uh, technical ability, his his reading of the game, his ability to find space and to uh, and to and to score when given half a chance in a very packed penalty box, I and mean, he he was a player like a Frank Lampard and like a uh, Steven Gerrard, well, more, more Lampard than Gerrard, but he was a player who could score 10 to 15 goals in a season. Uh, and now he's a player who's struggling to get into a struggle, or last season was struggling to get into a struggling Everton side. I think Everton are letting him go predominantly because of the wage and the wage bill and because of the cost that they'll have to pay. He's a, he's a £40 million signing for them, four £0 million. Uh, Everton are battling against financial fair play limitations. They're an incredibly rich club. They've got a decent turnover. They've got a very rich owner who's worth about £2 billion. Um, but financial fair play is the controller of what you can spend, and Everton have overspent over the last three years. So they've been balancing the books with some of their sales. Um, if they have to pay, the, if they play Ali for another eight games, then uh, they'll have to pay to make the first instalment payment of his 40 million pound fee, which I believe is either 10 or 20 million pounds, and it's money that, at the moment, for a player who's who's not scoring goals, he's not looking like scoring goals. So the few nice little touches for them. It's just not worth it. So I think it's a cutting of cloth, and I think they would be very happy for him to go to Besiktas, who are who are pursuing him, and I think would like him but on a permanent deal. But there's also an option for a loan.
4: Yeah, right. Interesting. Uh, and just before you go, mate, I mean, given that Frank Lampard is his boss there, is his coach manager uh, at Everton, are you surprised he hasn't been able to get a tune out of him? And what do you think that says about him as a manager?
7: I, I think it's. You look at it and you think, well, Manchester, Frank Lampard was a uh, an attacking midfielder and a goal-scoring midfielder, just like Deli Ali used to be. Um, I think it says a lot more about uh, about Ali and his ability to and his willingness to listen to the critique and to him to strip back his game and to start again. He's, he has had more opportunity uh, at Everton because Everton are operating obviously on a lower level at the moment than Spurs were. Everton uh, last season finished um, 16th place compared to Spurs who finished in the Champions League positions. Um, so he had, he had more game time. He was getting 15, 20 minutes off the bench. And he was actually playing reasonably. Um, but I would suggest, and this is me being very cynical here, that Everton signed him. Um, knowing that the probability was they wouldn't be they wouldn't be retaining him and that he would be used as a temporary stopgap to keep them up or to play a part, play a part in keeping them up last season. And if he really excelled, that'd be another matter. Lampard, the manager doesn't typically um, he he drives strategy, but it's the coaches who are the ones who are there to uh, to develop players and to uh, and to to pull them apart and put them back together again um Chelsea uh, and uh, Everton with a lot of the old Chelsea boys with uh, Ashley Cole in place um with uh Paul with Paul Clement as well in place they have some very um good coaches and some very experienced people um it's just uh, it's just not worked out for Deli Alley. so I think I think um you can't put this one on Frank Lampard but there is a little bit of uh there is more speculation with the start of the season and the fact that Ali hasn't proved a, a, a roaring success. So the uh, the jury will remain out on Mister Lampard for the time being.
4: Yeah, good stuff. All right, Matt. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. It's great pleasure. Cheers, mate. Cheers, uh, Matt Reed, there, uh, English football journalist. You can follow him, Matt Reed, R E A D sixty six on Twitter. He's uh, done a lot of really, really good interviews over the years, uh, particularly gets in with the young players before they become a big name. So some of the big names that he has talked to early in their careers, like uh, he was the first journalist to interview Raheem Sterling, uh, Theo Walcott, Ross Barkley, a few others as well. Definitely worth uh, checking out his work. We are 28 away from 11 here on SENZ. 23 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 11. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was interesting hearing from Matt Reed about a few things out of uh, English football. Uh, the fall of Dali Alley, too. Um, you know, now it looks like he's being uh, offloaded by Everton to Besiktas in Turkey because they couldn't get him to work for them. Uh, full-blooded England International, who was a big, uh, big part of the squad at the uh, 2018 World Cup, and he's still only 26. So I'd be interesting to see what happens with him and whether he can get it back round. Earlier tonight, if you missed it, there was a game in the Bunnings NPC, and uh, Otago got up over Hawke's Bay, 18-13. to It uh, means Otago, who lost their first game of the season by a point at Counties, uh, have since beaten Tasman, by six, and beaten Hawke's Bay by five. Now, the Tasman and Hawke's Bay, based off last year, were two of the better performing teams, so uh, things are good, looking good for Otago. Some really good signs uh, for uh, for them, and um, that, I think, is going to be an interesting race in the odds side of the uh, NPC table, uh, which is weird. Odds and evens. They've got an odds and evens side. Didn't they come up with better names on odds and evens? Just to. It's a bit of a head scratch, that one, but anyway, I mean, you could even sell them, like right. You could sell the naming rights, so you could have, for example, I mean, it's the Bunnings NPC, right? So, I don't know who have you got uh, from a hardware point of view. I mean, you could have a uh, the Resine the Resine league, and the wattle league, or something. I don't know, um, but you know, uh, better than odds and evens, surely, Ben.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a really weird names, but the guy on Hawke's Bay. I, I am looking quite a bit ahead here, but they don't defend the Shield until uh, for another 10 days, August 27th. They play North Harbour. Based on what you've seen this year, I think you could make the case that North Harbour have a very strong chance of winning the Shield back. And I think they've only won it once. They have, yeah. They've which got was a
4: terrible Shield record, Harbour. which was
1: 2006. I remember it coming to my local school, but I think they only had it for like a week. Yep. When, when they had it but I uh, still so managed to make time to come to my school which was great but um, look at this as, as things right now and what I've seen in the opening cup, um, round or two I think Harbour could win that and I know I'm looking quite a bit ahead see Hawks Bay play Manawa 2 uh, this coming week and that is uh, sorry on the 21st and that's a, definitely a winnable game on, on the Sunday so they got the two games this week and then I, I really think Harbour could, could win that one
4: yeah Okay. All right. All right. Well, Harbour Harbour for the Shield. That's uh, Ben's call. Uh, they do have Manawatu in between. You said, Hey, eh, Hawks Bay, and that's a derby yep, on but, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. But Manawatu have been poo this season. They've conceded like sixty points just about every time out. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, it could it could it could give uh, Hawks Bay that bit of confidence they need. But I'm purely just going off based on what I've seen. I think many people felt Hawkes Bay uh, would be pushing. For the title, if not winning the title, you know you just just look at the depth of the squad they've got, and I think they've been a little bit under par this year mm. so yeah. far. And I know it's only early rounds, as we've touched on Manchester United as the main example at the moment. Liverpool struggling, and they'll will they'll, they'll be back up there, but. It's I, I really think Harbour could push them, and I know I'm making this call 10 days out. but it's yeah,
4: that's right, that's good. Though. But, when, but when Harbour win it, I'll, I'll replay this clip and say, told you so. Told Yeah, no, fair play, fair play. On Manawatu, yeah, they conceded 62 points to Canterbury in the first game, 45 to Auckland in the second, and 64 to Harbour last game out. So defence is optional, obviously, uh, there at the moment. So they're not going great. So you'd think Hawks Bay would win that and win that comfortably. But uh, yeah, Harbour, I mean, they haven't had a, a bad season at all. I mean, they had that big win against Manawatu. I don't know how much you can take out of that given what we've seen from Manawatu so far this season. They lost by 10 points to Auckland uh, though, so uh, they have. But that was their first game and it's always a tough game, your local derby, particularly against a strong province like Auckland but uh, interesting to see how they go so mm, two games in a one big win and one close loss against a uh, top side North Harbour what do you reckon any chance in 10 days that they are lifting the shield like Ben thinks Uh, you can give us a call 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 or 8833 is the temper bedpost text machine Uh, Michael has texted through Uh, Joe Schmidt what role for the All Blacks well um, according to what Ian Foster said earlier today he was originally going to be an independent selector replacing Grant Fox, but now uh, since the beginning of the Irish series he has been part of the coaching setup uh, now he'll work basically on uh, in, in the video room doing analysis and also along alongside Ian Foster working on tactics so that's what his role is going to be Michael thanks for your text uh, and on that yeah the uh, the Ian Foster. We're sticking with him from New Zealand Rugby. It was a weird one for me. I don't know. I, I I think thought it was the wrong appointment to start with. Thought it was wrong to re-sign him when they did, and I think they're wrong again now. Um, but what do you think? Can you hear from you? 0800 150 811 or 8833? Because, I mean, that's the other thing, as New Zealand Rugby said today when they announced this, uh, that here's the changes we're making for our review. And one of those was putting Joe Schmidt as part of the coaching group. like He's been part of the coaching group since before the Ireland series. So you've done nothing, basically. You've taken all this time to do nothing. You held a press conference on Sunday to tell us you weren't making any decisions till later in the week. And then you've waited later in the week and you've made no decision. That's effectively what's happened, Ben.
1: I kind of always think back to what Hamish Bidwell was touching on on Monday and – he said the media have seen this for a a few years with New Zealand rugby, Mm. and now the public are kind of starting to realise, this. okay, this is what they have to deal with. And I'm a bit in the same boat. Like It's not necessarily that I am jumping up and down saying I want Scott Robinson in the job. It's more the fact uh, I feel that the wrong decision was made appointing Ian Foster. I look at success previously as a head coach. I think Razor... He's had success everywhere he's gone. He's worked his way up the ranks over the last 10 years, under-20s, Canterbury, NPC Crusaders. Everywhere he's gone, he's had success. And you look at Ian Foster's record as a head coach, not as pretty. And I, I really felt that was a contributing factor. And when you're not even completed your second full season as the head coach and you're already making changes – To that coaching setup, which we were told was a a key factor in it, and bringing in, as you said earlier, two guys that were meant to be part of Razor's coaching stuff when he initially made his proposal, it is a really bad look. But as you say, it's kind of you kind of feel like they they probably some of them probably did want to make a change, but I feel probably some of these guys felt. We can't make the change because they they don't. It's, it's been touched on time and time again. They don't want to admit they're wrong. And no. look, we're we're sick of. It's really annoying talking about. I think everyone's heard every different possible angle and talking about it. Unfortunately, the more the public want to talk about it, the more they're going to hear about it. And that and that's just how it is at the end of the day. Hopefully, now that all this chat will start dying down. But look, rugby will be back on next week. Argentina and Christchurch if the All Blacks don't play well there, even if they win and don't play well, everyone's going to start, these questions are going to keep coming. They're going to keep happening, especially when it comes to playing the Wallabies and trying to defend for the low Cup. Yep. If the All Blacks do not play well on those, people are really, these conversations are just going to keep going. So the All Blacks have to try continue emulating what they did on the weekend. They have, to, they have to keep to that standard because you could almost argue that that was the performance which saved Foster, even though on aggregate across the two tests, I think the Springboks still came out on top.
4: Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I think uh, we talked about it earlier, um, uh, you know, that that box team in the second test, as good as it was that, to win that, that wasn't the strongest box team. They made changes, um, and I'm not suggesting that they did that to save Ian Foster's job, thinking we're way better off if he's still in and charge. we got a conspiracy now. spring box, <laughs> I just said, I'm not saying that they did this because it means he would stay in charge, but uh, it certainly, I think, helped uh, the All Blacks out with the changes that the South Africans uh, I made. Th- I think
1: you're onto something. I yep. think you're onto something. You
4: might be, maybe. Uh, this text has come through no a name on it, please do chuck your name on it so we can give you a shout out when you text through on 8833. But when you have the backing of the board, it's not a good sign. Well, yeah, when it gets to the point that the board are having to come out and say things, uh, you know th- things aren't going well uh, on the field. Yeah, keep them coming through. 8833, this is SENZ. Extra time here through to 11 14 away at the moment.